We will start with the intro music here. Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on call-in. This is episode 46, AOC Ukraine Funding Accountability. Journalist Jose Berger blamed AOC for funding Ukraine at a recent town hall, while also claiming that Tulsi Gabbard is brave for being anti-war and leaving the Democratic Party. Is Tulsi anti-war? Should AOC have responded? So let's go ahead and get into the discussion. We already got callers in the queue i'm gonna go ahead and bring in colin you are on the mic hello savvy hello colin how you doing I'm doing great. For guys, for those who don't know, I finally got the chance to meet Colin in D.C. over the weekend. Yeah, it was so good to meet you in person, finally. So um, so great meeting you and your husband and Eric and the fam. So, so yeah, it was great. Um, but I think regarding this topic... I mean, yeah, I mean, Jose had every right, as I said earlier, Jose had every right to call out AOC, you know, especially given that funding with Ukraine is an international issue. And when it comes to international issues, you know, that affects all of us, you know. And so even if he wasn't a constituent, which funny enough, like, I remember like he mentioned how when he met with Jamal Bowman, the first question that Jamal asked was, are you my constituent? As if that mattered, if that, if that, if that really mattered. But regardless, I feel like Jose had every right to call out AOC. And I just kind of think it's very disappointing that people online are trying to find Thing, you know, regarding Jose to smear him with to, and kind of undermine what he was saying to AOC uh, when he was in the right to call out AOC regarding funding to Ukraine, which as of now, she's still not responded to. And I just feel like for people who have the time to kind of do that, like smear an activist over a politician to me, like, and I'll just say it, like they deserve, that's a special place in hell you know, for those people. Because if you're going to bat for a politician who you don't know versus someone who is an activist trying to make your lives better, then to me, you're I you're considered a class traitor to me. So I think in a lot of ways, this is low-key kind of like the class divide, except in a sense of people feeling like they owe AOC something to defend her, which I don't quite understand why people do that. You know, um, I guess it's just a matter of the celebrity of it that people are just like, oh, you know, like, you know, she's the best and like or what we have or whatever. But I just 
you know. And yeah, I don't agree with Jose's takes on Tulsi, you know, but it's still, as I said in chat, you know, like, the truth is the truth, no matter who says it, you know, and, you know, you cannot like, you cannot like somebody, but you can acknowledge when they tell you the truth. And I think that's what people are missing in regards to this. It's like Jose told, when he came to AOC, he told the truth. And people are, you know, like overriding that because, you know, he voted for Trump. So what? You know, people voted for Biden, you know, and we're not, we can't talk about that. You know, he's a fan of Tulsi. Again, don't agree necessarily, but it still doesn't undermine what he said. And the fact that AOC kind of dismissed him, you know, I think it just kind of shows she's changed. She's not the person that she portrayed herself to be back in 2018 of being um, like she ran on being allies with activists in order to push legislation. And, you know, when Jose or me and Franco, you know, called out AOC and Cori Bush, you know, at the Capitol last year, we were dismissed. And we asked pertinent questions regarding the housing moratorium. So it just kind of brought me to that place, you know, So, and I know what Jose is probably feeling like, because that was me last year uh, when I called out AOC. And, and it's like, you know, as I said, she ran on being allies with activists and she's not doing that and she needs to be called out for it. I agree 100%, Colin. I think this is the danger about putting politicians on a pedestal because then people were told that we're not supposed to criticize the politicians that are supposedly a part of this movement or that we voted for or that we supported. And to me, that doesn't make any sense because if you supported them, especially if you donated money to them, you of all people should be criticizing them when they're wrong. Right. And I think, and, and I think this is kind of an interesting dynamic is because the people that are going to bat for them are not necessarily like rich, you know, they're not necessarily elites, you know, like they're working class like us, but for some reason, I'm, and I'm not entirely sure they bought into the Kool-Aid or whatever, that this is the squad and they might acknowledge, yeah, they have issues, you know, and they might say, oh, we criticize them. I don't see much of that, honestly, from many of them, but, you know, but they're like, but they're the best we have. And I'm like, based on what, you know, like, based on the fact of making nice tweets, you know, like what, with what legislation have you passed that has made the lives of working people better, even to a nominal degree and like people are not and i was saying to somebody on twitter earlier because people are like oh you expect the squad to do like big things or to make everything their issue no we're not asking them to make every you you gotta pick your battles obviously but you gotta make some battles mm -hmm. and the squad has not made any and that's the frustration that's the frustration we have with them is that they ran on these things they haven't even done it. And then when we call them out on that or push them to do it, they push back at us and say, like, you shouldn't do this this way or, you know, you're rude or you're you know, like, they just give every excuse not to do it. And so, 
you know, and I say, you know, like, as you said, you know, you know, there's a almost like a level of decorum that people feel like you should have life of politicians. And I'm like, no, like they don't do what they're supposed to do, you know, and especially since they kind of bark at us and basically kind of call us out or uh, uh, not acknowledge us when we ask them questions or call them on certain things, we have every right to be adversarial to them. Even AOC said that, you know, our job as activists is to make them feel uncomfortable. And that's what we're doing, making her feel uncomfortable. But I guess it was easy for AOC to say that maybe in terms of her colleagues, but not to her. And she doesn't like that. So she's going to criticize us over it. Right. And my thing is, too, like, when people ask me, like, why don't you have that same, you know, energy and criticism towards the Republicans? And I'm like, last time I checked, none of those Republicans ran on any of these issues. Right. And said that they were going to do it. Same thing with someone like Joe Manchin. People are like, you need to have more anger towards Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin didn't run on Medicare for all. Right. So, you know, like, we made the investment with our money, with our time, you know, to get these people in. And and we feel cheated out of our investment. And so, you know, people have the right to be upset. And again, with Jose, you know, like I say to people, like, yeah, you don't have to agree with him on, like, who he voted for or who he likes, politician-wise or whatever. But again, as we keep saying, you know, like... You know, it seems, and I watched the RBN segment today, it seems like he's very much, in his, as far as many issues, he seems to be aligned. And I don't know his political affiliation, which really doesn't really matter, but it's the idea of like, but he seems to be kind of aligned when it comes to the working class, especially given like he mentioned, I know he mentioned like how he essentially lost his apartment, you know, like, like um, I think, I think back in 2018, like, you know, just before, I think around the time when AOC ran her primary, like I saw that, like that part on RBM when he talked about that. So obviously he identifies being with working class. So, so for that, and you know, like we have to walk in solidarity, well, considering the circumstances, we have to walk in solidarity with him. And so like the idea of people smearing him, and these are very people in the same class as probably us, and they're like, oh, you don't have the right to call out AOC. I'm kind of like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you're not any better than any of us. So yeah. why is it you're going to bat for a politician that has done nothing for you, but you're going against a, a person who is trying to get something for you right. that you're smearing him and not the politician? Like, to me, that's that's just backwards. And... You know, and yeah, it's something that I just find like almost disgusting in the sense that people are willing to go against the very people who are trying to do something for them to appease a person that they know nothing about, um, you know, as far as, you know, AOC and her position. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just very weird to me. And I think also just kind of, I think that speaks to our culture just as far as, you know, uplifting the celebrity and not the regular person. I just think it's sick. I agree. And, you know, this happens oftentimes, though, throughout, like, our culture. And what's really sad is, like, I knew once I heard that speech and I heard him mention Tulsi, I was like, watch, 
AOC yeah. fans and some of the commentators who still simp for AOC are going to try to die. They're going to try to deflect this to Tulsi Gabbard. Right. And criticizing but, Tulsi Gabbard and criticizing the 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 protester who the guy, uh, Jose, who stood up and made that comment. I said, watch they attack him and Tulsi Gabbard instead of reflecting on what he said about AOC and right. what AOC actually did. Right. Tulsi isn't even in Congress. Exactly. So who cares what she says? You know, she's a private citizen, so she can do whatever she wants. She She's not in power. Like, so she's irrelevant to me. So the idea, like, okay, he can like Tulsi, but again, she's not in Congress. She's not controlling, she's not in charge of any legislation right now. The issue is that AOC, who is in Congress and has that kind of power, and the question is what she, what is she and her colleagues in the squad are doing? You know, so I just feel like, um, yeah, and I think also the, fact that, also the fact that Jose is his account is now temporarily suspended. Right. After that viral tweet. Right. And I, mean, I heard what, what Nick. Yeah. And I heard what Nick said and I agree with him, you know, like that was probably done on purpose so that it kind of reminds me of when. I kind of said this on Twitter too. I think she adjusted after what happened after during first vote because when she went off on Justin Jackson and Justin Jackson bodied her, you know, like I think she learned, you know, she can't attack people or kind of make her critiques in the same way anymore. So I'm sure it was a matter of, I think people would have done it anyway, but I can't help but think, you know, like she probably got her, Hive or whatever you want to call them to be like, you know, um, go after Jose, go after yeah. Jose and have him, you know, have his account suspended so that she was able to hide behind many Hassan. You know, she didn't put out the tweet herself. She just commented on his thread regarding what many, what he said. So then like Jose couldn't say what he said, you know, on, um, you know, on RBN today he couldn't come back and kind of say the things that he mentioned that would have implicated her. So I think she adjusted knowing what, after what Justin Jackson did to her uh, regards to force, uh, force to vote and how he essentially just dismantled her talking points regarding, you know, her role. Um, and I guess she was like, I can't afford to have that done again. So that's just kind of my opinion, but mm -hmm. I don't think that's so far off the mark considering, you know, how she, the, these moves seem to be kind of implicit of how she's changed um, once she's gone to Congress. I agree. I agree. And my point that I've tried to bring to people too is for the people who say, well, you guys need to stop criticizing her. You need to be nicer towards her. My question is, why are they always so quick to defend her and run cover for her? Right. Right. Again, I don't know, but I think it's just like this. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. Com I think it's just human nature, but I think especially it's especially bad in America, where it's just the idea of you know, like I think for AOC, it's just the image that she presents as far as you know, like you know, and I think just the story that has kind of you know, gathered around her in terms of like, oh, she was working class and then she worked hard, you know, kind of like this 
you know, pull up your bootstrap story. And I, I think for her, especially being a Latina, you know, that's really compelling for a lot of people. And, and I know you talked about this a lot. The reality is she wasn't necessarily working class, she, not to say she was well off, but, you know, like her father owned the architect company, you know, that he worked at and AOC mm-hmm. had some privileges that she was privy to just given to her position that she was in, you know, and not to say that's a bad thing, but it's kind of, she's kind of been viewed in the media as this Cinderella story that she came from nothing, which is not the case. And so I think people have bought into that because I think for many of us, especially in the working class, that's what we kind of strive to be. And that's kind of what is pushed, you know, in terms of like, you have to work hard and, you know, just do what you can. And one day you could be like AOC or like, and get into this position of privilege and really make something of yourself and make that money and you'll do well. And that's not the reality for a lot of people. And I, but I think people, it's easier for people to hang on to that myth versus living that reality because of, you know, because our reality is just so dim right now. So we need to have that hope in order to kind of help us keep going. And I think, unfortunately, I think of people like AOC and I think it's Cori Bush in a lot of ways more so, you know, they represent that. They represent, you know, the myth of being a person of color and making it. And that's what's inspiring to people, which, you know, and my take is it's, it's not so much, you know, especially, you know, for Cori Bush being an activist, it's like, what are you fighting for? You know, like, are you making headwinds to try to progress some type of legislation that will make the working class lives a little bit better? You know, not saying it has to be a dramatic move overnight, but like get us one step closer to actually having some type of progress in regards to legislation that will be beneficial for for the working class in particular. And they haven't done that. So... You're you right. Know, um, I, I just find it very disappointing. And I think that I think just more so for Jose that, you know, like he was trying to do the right thing by us and he's being attacked for it. And for somebody who that, you know, I can relate to that, you know, having something similar, not to that degree, but I'm sure just being in the States, that's going to happen to me fairly soon, you know, but you know, but I think it's just amazing that people are turning on him and not kind of looking at AOC or anyone in government and just being like, well, like, this is true. So tell us more about it. And it'd be very easy for AOC just to be like, even she's dead wrong, just being like, I voted on this. This is my opinion. Like, the more, the less she talks about it, the more angrier people are going to get, you know? So it's just kind of like, just say why. We don't have to agree with you, but at least you can help yourself and kind of make your, make, make your case, you know? Like, but I'm sure she doesn't want to do that because I'm sure it's kind of tied to some corruption that she doesn't want to admit to. Um, and so I think it might be easier for her in this case to kind of stay quiet because of that. Yeah. 
Well said, Colin. Um, thank you so much for calling. I'm going to go to the next caller. All right. Thanks, Abby. Well said. I'm going to bring in uh, Paul here. And I will say for people listening, like for politicians, like not to answer questions and just to avoid answering them, it actually makes them look worse than if they just answer the question and say, okay, well, this is why I did what I did. This is why I voted the way that I did. But like when they just try to avoid it or they try to hide or they try to get security to take you out when you're asking a question, like it just makes them look worse. Uh, What's going on, Paul? Hey, Sabby. It's so great to get to talk to you. I um, I am married to a beautiful Ugandan lady, and um, my 14-year-old is also Ugandan, just got their U.S. citizenship, and uh, they like to watch you a lot. When I'm watching you, they come around, and, and uh, they're just very happy to see uh, somebody that looks like them being so smart, you know? And oh, so, thank you. I, That's sweet. Yeah, I, I really love, I really love how much time you take. Um, you know, like the long form is uh, something I really appreciate. So, um, I wanted to uh, give you kudos on, uh, you know, I'll address the AOC Tulsi thing, but I want to, I want to get straight to the point I, I want to make. Yeah, it, which is a broader issue. You said hands off Africa. And this, I, I, my wife and I work in Uganda, and uh, we have some involvement in Rwanda and Congo, and we work with extremely poor HIV-positive women, orphans, and Uganda is a 36-year U.S.-backed dictatorship. Uh, the president is was never elected. His name is Yari Museveni. And right next door, we have Paul Kagame, who was trained at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, by the U.S. Army, who also took the country by force. And uh, between those two knuckleheads, they've, they've managed to kill about 10 million people since the 80s, all of them black sub-Saharan Africans. And, um, and they, you know, they portray themselves in the West as, as heroes. And I'm dealing with, right now, I'm dealing with people starving in Uganda. And this uh, this sort of uh, celebrity politician bullshit um, really sucks up a lot of the bandwidth and a lot of our psychic energy. Um, where, like the real the real difference between Tulsi and AOC is AOC doesn't give a shit about imperialism, and and uh, Tulsi tips her hat towards you know an anti-imperialist. Uh, viewpoint, but she's still a military person. And, um, and so here we've got these two privileged women that make a lot of money kind of sucking up the debate about, you know, about the real issue. And it's just like what this uh, wonderful protester is saying is like, we're, we're facing a nuclear disaster. We're, we're facing existential crisis and you're not doing anything about it. And I'm trying to hold you accountable. And of course, you know, the Stockholm syndrome that seems to possess neoliberals is you have to attack the person that's, that is criticizing, you know, mom, dad, and Jimmy Dore calls it the adult child of an alcoholic syndrome, you know, and I think Stockholm syndrome is a, is a fairly accurate way to see it. And we're, we're constantly being pushed down by the system and so, right, if you if you actually take it seriously, 
you got to make some major life changes. But if you can just turn and smear the truth teller, then you can live pretty comfortably and smugly that you're doing the right thing. And I think that's what we're witnessing right now with the attacks on, on these guys who stood up and spoke out. But um, I wanted to point out um, in Uganda, uh, we had a, um, you know, this is a U.S.-backed dictatorship, never gets talked about. And the reason why it's there is to move minerals out of Congo to make our cell phones, our laptops, um, our weapon systems, our electric cars. And we've been killing Congolese since uh, we figured out that Congo had some awesome uranium that we dropped on the Japanese. And, um, and so we overthrew Congo's first elected uh, president, Patrice Lumumba. Within two months, he's dead. And Belgium and the U.S., you know, CIA, get together and set up a full control system of the mineral flow coming out of Congo, which is the most mineral-rich region on the planet. It's like Afghanistan is second to Congo. And yet we never talk about Congo, and we never talk about Africa. In fact, you, re you referred to the entire continent as Africa, which is very common. And yet we've got over 50 countries in Africa with all these different cultures in the U.S., the biggest funding of the Pentagon is AFRICOM. AFRICOM is their their new front on the war on terror. And yet most of our coverage, most of our dialogue, even in left media, is about what the white people are saying. You know, what's going on in Europe? What's going on? And we, we so rarely, until the Uhuru movement got raided, you know, there wasn't much conversation um, about what was going on. And uh, so I just wanted to thank you for saying that because, you know, I, I work on the ground and I see these people that are suffering so horrifically from poverty and being crushed by the by these dictatorships. And like I can talk to people here in the West and it's like I'm talking about my trip to the moon. You know, they just they just don't know anything about Africa. It's just like yeah, mm -hmm. out of sight, out of mind, mind doesn't matter don't care. Black Lives Matter. Even my Black Lives Matter activist friends in LA, you know, I start talking to them about, hey, you know, Black Lives Matter in Africa too. And they're like, no, we don't have time for those people. You know, we, we're not, that, 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 those people don't matter. And those people are my, my wife and my daughter, you know, those, those aren't those people like far, far away. I've got my wife sitting right next to me when I'm talking to them. So I, I just want to commend you and, um, and thank you for bringing that up. Um, uh, we had, we've had our one freedom fighter guy, a musician, Bobby Wine. Um, he has been co-opted most likely by the CIA just recently, toured around Ukraine, making music with Ukrainians, telling Ugandans to stand by Ukraine as Ugandans starve because of these goddamn sanctions. And he was our guy. He was, he was the guy that was going to overthrow the dictator and to, and bring Uganda like some sane leadership, and the CIA has gotten to him. And of course, you know NPR covered him when he was being tortured by by the uh, by the Museveni administration. Can't name the dictatorship as being U.S. supported. New York Times now he's got a documentary about him hitting the just hit the Vienna Film Festival. And this is a black leadership, the future black leadership. 
of uh, of Africa, you know, of for Africa because everybody loves Bobby Wine like they love Mandela, you know, and and these things just don't get talked about. And I, I just wanted to drop in. I'm sorry to bring in a major tangent, but I thought you might appreciate it. No, well said. I didn't realize that they co-opted Bobby Wine too. Now, aye, aye, oh, aye. yeah. His so his uh, lawyer is this guy named Amsterdam, and I'm trying I'm trying to figure out who he's connected to, but Amsterdam's a huge Ukraine supporter, and they they just took him on a dog and pony show all around Ukraine. He's wearing a camo jacket with a little blue and yellow flag and talking nonsense about how Ugandans need to stand with Ukraine. But he also, there was a big red flag that erupted with him where he posted and then took it down. I had a very interesting phone call with the president of Venezuela, Juan Guaido, today. And we've, we've committed to stand in solidarity with each other for freedom of our countries, right? And all my friends that were supporting Bobby Wine that are, you know, aware and on the left were just like, holy shit, what just happened? And and I think it's the guy that's, uh, you know, the white guy with money behind him, uh, leading him around. It's really sad. I can't, I can't get to him. I have friends who are friends of his, but I haven't been able to get a hold of him. Um, I, I managed to run into his wife at the bank in Kampala once and... She wouldn't talk to me. She was like she was terrified to talk to me. But um, if anybody out there knows Bobby Wine, please, <laughs> please not knock him on the head a little bit and talk some sense to, into him or find out what's going on. But I just wanted to, I wanted to put Africa back in the mix. You know, this this thing in Ukraine, we're, we're pushing nuclear war. We got this idiot in a diaper talking about, about the, you know, the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And and we've got a certain segment of the United States that, that's a cabal um, that is trying to push glo- push their war making agenda so hard that they will put us all in jeopardy just so they can make their war profits. And um, you know Ben Ben Norton's been doing a great job interviewing this guy Aaron Good. Uh, he's done mm-hmm. parts on multipolarista. I don't know if you've caught it. Um, but it's excellent uh, digging into what's the deep state, who are the people that really run the people that we are always talking about. We're always talking about Biden and AOC, and we're talking about the personalities and what's Il- Ilhan Omar doing. But the people that are always there pulling these people's chains, uh, you know, those are the people that are pushing us, uh, pushing us to, you know, Nord- the Nord Stream bombing. This is insane. We are, I cannot believe, as a child of the Cold War, I cannot believe that I'm right back to the fear that I had when I was a kid when they told me to get under my desk in elementary school because, you know, we might have a nuclear war that's going to blast out the windows and wipe out all of L.A., you know, and you'll never see your parents again, and good luck living as a cockroach. You know, that kind of level of terror, I'm looking at my kids going, God, I can't believe I'm back to this. Yeah, I know it's it's crazy, and I think you know I need to go back to this as well. Um, I have had I had um Teddy. He came on and talked about what's going on in Ethiopia uh-huh. and about the conflict there and about the U.S. involvement there. Um, right. But I definitely I, that's another thing too. I definitely want to bring on more people because I don't think people I don't think a yes. lot of Americans realize like when they talk about like 
we talk about colonialism in the United States, a lot of times it's it's discussed through history, like the history right. books, right? But it still right. happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Columbus Day, it's like, oh, that was a long time ago when Columbus was the mass murdering asshole. It's like, no, we actually fund people that are 10 times worse than Columbus right now today who are mass murdering with our tax dollars. And like, if I can recommend that you reach out to Ann Garrison of KPFA, um, she does a great job um, talking about Ethiopia and Congo, Rwanda and Uganda. I got to know her because I was on the ground looking for anybody that was reporting accurately what I was seeing. Um, and uh, then there's another woman, Judy, J-U-D-I, Revers, R-E-V-E-R-S. And she has written a great book called In Praise the Blood and has dug really deep into the U.S. support of Paul Kagame in Rwanda. Both these women cannot travel to Rwanda. They would be killed instantly by by Kagame's apparatus. And then Helen Epstein, who would be killed if she went to Uganda, um, she's read, written a book called Another Fine Myth. And all three of these women are like absolute hero journalists and academics, and they never get any attention. Um, it is the left media is, uh, they're little, they're so um, uh, exacting. Um, and they're, you know, they're just, they're, they're women in their sixties or so, and, and they're quiet and they just do amazing work. But if you want, if you want to know what's going on in East and Central Africa, those three women are doing a, an amazing job. And I'm so grateful for them because otherwise there would be no voices. Mm, thank you so much for that, Paul. I'll definitely reach out. Hey, thank you so much, Savvy. I really appreciate you giving me time. All righty. Looks like Scotty is here. So um, we're going to go ahead and bring Scotty in. What's going on, Scotty? Good evening, Savvy. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Uh, just making dinner, you know. Uh, I uh, I heard I seen the interview with uh, Jose on RV, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? I'll say this much: I do wish he did not mention uh, him or his boy didn't mention Tulsi Gabbard because all it did was give the shit libs uh an out <laughs> for criticism. Mm-hmm. But and I'll say. The fact that those guys did it, and it took four years for uh, somebody on the left to really go at AOC the way that they did, that's an indictment on the left in this country that it took four years for something like this to happen to where you're now seeing like even right-wing media covering that, oh, AOC's uh, constituents are even going after her. But I will give yep. them credit for for you know going at her, and they didn't hold up. And that same guy, I think he learned his lesson from last time with uh, Jamal Bowman, because Jamal Bowman said uh, wait afterwards, and <laughs> he didn't have it on tape. Uh, what he said that you know we're going to keep doing uh, what we're doing, and you're not my constituent, and so. Right. And this went and this went viral, and I don't know if you've seen this, but Kyle Kalinsky, he 
did a video today about the subject. And this fool did it in such the most disingenuous way. Like, he said, first off, um, who's the one who attacked uh, who first? Uh, Putin attacked Ukraine. I'm like, this fool didn't mention the 2014 coup. I'm like, you're mm-hmm. leaving out the context of everything that happened leading up to that. Like, they've been getting attacked in the pro-Russian areas for years. Did not mention that. This fool said um, he actually had the audacity, and I sent it in your chat. He had the audacity to compare sending weapons to uh, Palestinians fighting off Israel as a way of saying, like, listen, uh, if uh, if you would... Uh, if uh, the U.S. sent the uh, weapons to Palestinians, I would be for that. And I'm like, what? What? This ex- no, I swear to you, it's in the video. Watch it. You'll see what I'm talking about. He's literally, and he tried to do the same thing that got him in trouble with uh, with Door. Like, he tried to act like he was the adult in the room. Like, well, I don't like the uh, people on the far right who goes to ALC for being a socialist. Uh, and I don't like people on the left who don't c- criticize Putin enough and uh, and don't mention that Putin's back. Like, it's that type of, like, nonsense. Like, dude... The fence, the fence like, sitter. <laughs> yes. It, that's the same thing that got him in trouble. Uh, with the whole Jimmy Dore thing. Try to be a fence sitter. <laughs> driver and it costs his ass and he ain't grown back to form ever since ever since he tried to like the videos <laughs> the video, I, me describing it does not do it just like you need to do a segment on it it's that bad like it's just really that horrible like, I think really- Nick I think Nick and CJ are gonna do <laughs> a segment on that one because oh. I haven't I haven't watched Secular Talk in over like two years. That's how bad it is to me now. Like I I started to notice like a while back. I was like, wow, this show is uh <laughs> this don't sound that progressive or left to me. <laughs> like I'm listening to like the same channel where I remember when he did the report card for Obama and he gave Obama like a D minus. That's when Secular Talk was more was actually left. When secular talk was more like he was left ish. Yeah, it it was more it was it was it was more I don't know, rogue. Like it was it was more raw back then. And as time went Um well with the this Biden situation in particular, after Biden won, but actually I started to see it before Biden won too, because I was like, something is happening with the show. Like and then, like, definitely after Biden won, I was just like, yo, okay, I see what's happening now. They're going to start to move closer to the right, which for people who don't know, Joe Biden is not left. So they're going to start to move closer to the right because that way their channel can be protected. And that's where there's more money that way. If you are closer towards where Joe Biden is, Joe Biden, I can still consider him to be center right. If you're closer to that, there's more money there. Um, and then the Bernie, the Bernie movement was over. So there was that there was no, no Bernie running 
again, because he'd already ran two times in a row, lost both times in a row. And then at the same time, it was like the progressive movement, even the Justice Democrats weren't performing the way that they did the first time around. So a lot of those people didn't even win their primaries this year. So that momentum and energy is gone. So they're like, okay, we had to move a little bit closer, you know, to the right and, you know, make excuses for Joe Biden and support Joe Biden at the same time. That also means that your narrative about Ukraine, your narrative about imperialism as well, you're going to have to talk about it in a way kind of similar to mainstream media, where maybe it may not be as, as obvious to your viewers that you're supporting Ukraine, but at the same time, it's obvious to your supporters that you don't support Russia. So you're walking like that middle line. So that way it's more appealing to the algorithm. And, and those of us who are on the side of it, we know what they're doing because we see it. So, yeah, it's 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 really sad. It's, it's really it sucks. Like, but like I told you, I haven't watched that show in two years, but I heard about it earlier today in a DM group. No, so many people came in and they said, Kyle Kalinske yeah. is just ridiculous. It is terrible. It is terrible. It's the it's probably the worst. When he tried to bring up that Israel of Palestine example, I was like, this motherfucker, like, I can't cuss in front of my niece. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, this fool really went that far to to try to look like he was the adult in the room. And it's like, mm -hmm. dude, like, you ain't got to do that. Like, she's wrong. Period. She's been wrong. And then <laughs> sitting there uh, talking about Tulsi, which this is why I was hoping that they did not mention her. But he, I think he would, he like, even when he wasn't talking about Tulsi, he was talking about their criticism of her uh, voting for uh, weapons for Ukraine. He literally says in the video, and I kid you not, she said, he said, it, it's not that her voting, she's not voting for nuclear war. She's voting to send uh, aid or something that, of that nature. Like, <laughs> I, I, shit, I shit you not. Like, it's it's bad. Like, and I've seen that you, you know, you're, uh, you mentioned that, you know, the change, I, like, <laughs> I, I find it funny that the same dude who, because um, he was a bit of an edgelord back in the day, like, you know, he tried, he was, he called himself secular talk because he was part of that whole new atheist uh, wave, like uh, amazing atheist, Thunderfoot, them guys, but he tried to be a little bit of an edgelord from time to time. Like the same dude who clowned Crystal Ball for falling for a prank call on MSNBC, it's the same dude who ended up uh, proposing to her seven years later. <laughs> I like that's funny. Like, like I, I joke like that. Like it's like watching the uh, oh, like Seth Rogen rom com with uh, political sensibilities. <laughs> like he, like it, it's just that bad. Like, can you hear me? You yeah, I can hear you. No, I know. Like people have people have changed and like some people have sold out. Let's just be real. And you got to remember, and I always say this to people when you see people like Kyle and Gene constantly defending the squad, you have to remember they started just as Democrats. 
So even though they're no longer a part of Justice Democrats, it's still their project that they started. So they're going to defend. Yeah, because they can't admit their complicity in propping these people up. Like, they would have to sit there and have a formal, not just have a formal apology to their supporters, but they would tacitly be admitting that Jimmy Dore was right. And they can't allow that to happen because it's just, it eats them up in their soul that, you know, Jimmy, like, he... He was telling people this the whole time that the squad isn't like what they who they say they are, and voting for the the, the progressives in the house it isn't like it 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 hasn't helped. Like it hasn't. It's helped. It maybe helped them in the short term, but in the long term, like I think that they'll you'll see their revel, relevance in like. In the, in the future, like I, I always remember um, Chris Hedges uh, after the first Bernie loss said that you know uh, the left is going to have to be in the wilderness for uh, at least a decade, right? And he said that uh, in the, the first time. Well, they did the uh, the second go around, and I think we. We um, made that happen. We expanded that to maybe like the 15 years instead of a decade because they threw all their time and their effort into propping these people up, even though that was a waste of people's time, money, and effort. Like, I mean, that's that's essentially what they did, and they have nothing to show for. Like, Jank doesn't even do. Um, Wolfpack anymore. They both got uh, forced out of Justice Democrats. The progressives in the House won't even return their, like, they won't even come on their show. Uh, Kalinsky got cucked on his own show by Bernie, and his woman let it happen. And they'll still defend them because they still want to get them to come on their show. They still. What are they going to do if they don't? If they don't do this, what are they going to do? I mean, what are they? Your, where's your self-respect? That's a good question. Money, money happens, Scotty. Some people change when they get money. You know, I mean, some of these people are millionaires. Uh, I think it's. I mean, that, I think that's part of it. I think they really. This whole like left media thing, they, I think they wanted to make a career out of it. I also think that they wanted to be seen as taken uh, seriously by the people that they castigated in the you know the establishment, right? So they spent all this time going after the corporate media, which you know great, but deep down inside they wanted to be seen on the same level as them, right? They wanted to be, like, this is the same thing that uh, Sagar and Jody said in uh, the outro of the Breaking Point video. He didn't say he wanted to be uh, independent media. He said he wanted to be new mainstream, right? And that's all they wanted. That's all they wanted. That's why they, you know, started in, in political media. That's why they 
extract all these candidates. That's so they use their their audience to like do different things, like support these candidates. That's all they wanted. They just wanted to be taken, but they just wanted to have a fla a different flavor towards it, you know. Yeah, I think so too. But I mean, it's like you don't get to. You tell us that we need to support working class issues and help out the working class people. That's one thing. But then you don't want those working class people to complain when their representatives are not doing what they said they would do. Oh, yeah. They I, I, sit in the uh, back and, and be quiet. That's not that's not OK. Like this whole idea that like you need to be nice to them. And I've heard them say that before. You guys need to be nicer towards the squad. No, nah, fuck that. <laughs> we're past nice stop telling poor and working class people that they need to be nice to politicians who are supposed to stand up and fight for them hey yo you, uh, that reminds me I sent you something uh, I think it was a week ago um, I remember telling you about Nyota Ahura from uh, Ferguson and she showed the clip of the um, the RBN uh, video I think on Twitter of them talking about uh, Corey Bush, that uh, commercial. And she said, you, uh, she comments, she said, she has no idea how bad this looks for people. She is getting clowned in the comments. I didn't know this, but apparently her constituents don't particularly care for her. And her constituents didn't actually really vote for her. It was the white upper middle class uh, people that vote for the squad like a lot of the squad support are like uh, highly educated upper middle class white liberals right and it was a low voter turnout in uh, her district in uh, Cory Bush's district apparently the guy who ran against her uh, the he had been accused of rape twice what? Uh, yeah, like I don't, I, I don't. Uh, I think this was the uh, this year. Like whoever they ran against her had been accused of a rape. So like they, it was a horrible candidate she was running against anyway. But like the people in her district don't really rock with her like that. Like it's the people that know her from online. That you know, from people that uh, TYT or Majority Report prop them up, and if you actually, if these people actually got to talk to people in their districts that live there, they would not take too kindly to what uh, uh, those constituents think about them, because they have this whole paternalistic view of how they think. Uh, uh, voters should see them. <laughs> so but see, that's what that's what I was trying to tell people about that tour that the squad had when they came to the Boston area. I was trying to explain to people that they they targeted the areas that was a part of Iona Presley's district, right? But also a part of Iona Presley's district is Chelsea and Everett, and they didn't go. They would dare step foot there because those are working class and poor people. They went to Cambridge, Somerville, and parts of Boston, where it's mainly professional, academic class. 
That's who's voting for them. I want people to understand the people who came out, a lot of the people who came out and voted for them the first time they ran, which a lot of times it was, especially for AOC, it was a lot of non-voters that came out, people who are working class. This, This time around, People need to understand that they they have shifted their focus more to the professional academic class. Those are the people who are donating money to them. Those are the people who are supporting them. The wor- a lot of the working class people, if you talk to people here, especially those in Iona Presley's district that are working class, a lot of the working class people are not supporting them anymore because they haven't done anything. They haven't improved the lives of people in their districts. And so now you got the squad is doing the same thing that the corporate Democrats do. They cater to that professional managerial class of academic elite. They're not even working class. They're not even working with the exception of, of Corey Bush. They weren't working class. And that's what people need to understand. The one person that really was what she said she was and was really from the struggle (laughs) is Paula Jean Sturgeon. Paula Jean Swearingen, and if you notice, they paid very little attention to her when they were running. A lot of the focus was primarily on AOC. AOC did not endorse Cori Bush. When Cori Bush won the second time, AOC didn't endorse her. So what was that about? Yeah. Hey, I'll, uh, I'm not, uh, I'll talk to you later, but uh, good show tonight. Thanks so much, Scotty. All right, we're going to bring in Justin. Justin, what's up? Hey, Sabby. Hey, all the other callers. And the um, it's cool to see everybody tonight. And um, thanks for uh, for having another call in, Sabby. Um, awesome show tonight. Um, the whole thing about, um, but, you know, it's funny. I, I put it in the super chat about how, you know, basically, you know, critiquing a little something, you know, with Jose a little bit, but I want to start by saying here in the call-in that I am fully supportive of what Jose and the other guy there did during, you know, to protest against AOC, and I love that they brought it hard to her, you know. So if I bring up something to kind of critique a little bit about Jose and and the the other guy there, um, it's not anything against what they did to AOC. <laughs> you know, I cheer it, I applaud it. Uh, so, you know, I, I think some people took my my super chat, you know, that I was def- I was defending AOC or that I was, you know, saying something off about them, you know, just to slander them. And that's not the case. But I do want to talk a little bit about the whole thing that, you know, I kind of critiqued Jose on. Yeah, I should let people know really quickly. Justin is uh, Green Party. <laughs> so just FYI, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been calling out AOC for a long time. And, you know, as many of us in the Green Party have, you know, and the, and the whole thing with the idea of the squad, right? I mean, we called, I called out the, the Kyle and, and Chank back in the day when I saw it was a grift, you know. But, um, you know, a lot of people didn't buy it until 2020, you know. Um, but it was going on since like 2017, 2018, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, and there's a couple things with this whole thing, you know, and again, I cheer what happened, you know, calling out AOC hard. She needs to be called out and they did it. So, I mean, total kudos to them um, and we need more of it. <laughs> but, you know, he brought up Tulsi in that and 
you know, Tulsi's leaving the Democratic Party, I think is is the timing is really poor. In in 2019, um, when I you know I I got involved in the Green Party in 2017 after being a Bernie Sanders delegate, and I remember seeing Tulsi here in Portland, Maine, where I live, and um, it was a small kind of setting, and we all got to go up and shake hands and get a picture with Tulsi if we wanted. I skipped on the picture, but I shook her hand. I gave her a card. I was like, why don't you join the Green Party? You're never going to get the nomination here. You have a chance to leave. You could do it on the debate stage. Announce you're going to run as, you know, president as a Green instead. And, I mean, it would have been a huge movement. Um, of course, she didn't do that. Um, you know, and then, of course, she turns around and backs Joe Biden. Right. <laughs> you know, it's funny, all these people praising Tulsi right now and they're saying, oh, she's anti-war. Um, I don't know if you know Shauna Burley, but she's a big fan of Tulsi's work, I think, on Tulsi's campaign. Um, kind of leaning Libertarian Party, probably also the, um, you know, People's Party kind of thing. And it was just like, OK, you know, um, they're saying Tulsi's anti-war, but you thank you for pointing out that she's really not anti-war. She she gives off the appearance of being very anti-war, but. I, you know, I, I've been tweeting a little bit today. I'm like, look, you want you want anti-war. There's a whole party that's dedicated to anti-war, and that's the Green Party. Um, Libertarian Party does a decent job on anti-war, but, you know, um, Tulsi's not it. And um, the other part there with Tulsi is, um, you know, um, so she's, she's not anti-war, and, uh, you know, it's just um, – She's being she's they're trying to play her off as that, though. Um, and I, I, it's like they're trying to spin a narrative, I think, for her. Um, so, you know, the, the thing I mentioned about Jose was that, you know, he was plugging on Twitter um, when this was going on, when he was kind of blowing up and before they probably blocked him, which I think it's wrong that they blocked him on Twitter. But he was pushing the this. um green fascism rally. I don't know if you guys have heard about this or seen anything about it, but it's uh, this thing that Jackson Hinkle's putting together in New York with the MAGA communism thing. Um, so this green fascism thing, which I don't know if it's a, uh, you know, a knock on the green party and the idea of like, um, you know, green new deal or green socialism or eco socialism. I don't know. Um, but they're calling it green fascism. And they're really pushing this thing like and they're using I mean, Jose, you know, and again, it's awesome that they did this thing, you know, but they got a lot of attention now. And the like Fox News is contacting him, say, hey, can we use your video clip on our air? You know, um, so I don't know. It's uh, the other thing I want to say about going back to Tulsi is um, and I'm going to tie it all together here. The timing again, like Tulsi, you know, she could have let the Dems in 28 or 2020 when she was running, when she knew she wasn't going to get the nomination from them and started her own party or joined the Green Party, done something with that momentum. But she she totally wasted it. And she said, I'm going to back Joe Biden. Right. So not only is she not anti-war, she also backed, you know, Joe Biden. And so the timing, I think, of this is really kind of weird of her leaving the Democratic Party now. Um, you know, some of her reasons that she gave was weird. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to make a prediction that Tulsi, 
either she stays independent or she might end up joining with um, Jackson Hinkle and what's going on with this mega communism thing. And you, which you I know, think is you, basically. You think she'd do that before? Uh, you think she would join that before Forward Party? Uh, maybe she'll. Maybe this is a Forward Party thing too. But I, you know, it's it's all like People's Party 2.0, if you ask me. Um, you know, Jackson Hinkle spun off this thing with MAGA communism, right? Which picked up a lot of interest, right? A lot of eyes on it. Um, I think Tulsi is kind of inclined to to go that route. Um, so she's either going for maybe she'll go forward party. That's a good call too. But I wouldn't be surprised surprised if they start something up with this MAGA communism thing. Um, maybe a draft Tulsi party or something. Who knows? But yeah, that's an interesting take though too. Maybe she'll go forward party. Uh, you know, I could see that along these lines too. But it'll be very interesting to see what Tulsi does do here. Um, again, kudos to Jose and the other guy and, you know, standing up to, to shout down, um, AOC here, but also, um, um, is it the Bowman rally, right? Um, yeah. Bowman. Awesome stuff, right? We need a lot more of it, but you know, something smells a little fishy with this pushing of the green fascism thing. I don't know what that's all about. And if it is a knock on the green party, I also think that, you know, the timing of this with, Tulsi, it's going to take momentum away from the Green Party. You know, we got a lot of great candidates running in this cycle, but now she's jumping out and becoming an independent. She's going to get all this interest in her and away from like, you know, a real eco-socialist party that's out there running candidates talking about reparations and ending war. You know, it's I don't know. I read a lot into things and um, I'm very sus about a lot of things. Um, but, yeah, that's my take on this. And you know, I'd love to hear what you think about some of that stuff, um, Patty. So I just looked it up on uh, Twitter. I see it now. Defeat green fascism. Yeah. Um, Schiller Institute. I'll have to check that out. Uh, but um, I think that, yeah, you know, timing can be everything. Um, I had predicted last year that I thought Tulsi was probably going to go to the Republican Party just because... I noticed her talking points were changing, were changing. And that's what I had predicted. And I, I predicted that I think she would either run for president or she would be a VP, run for VP. So I had predicted Ron DeSantis and Tulsi Gabbard as a ticket. Mm, I th yeah. think I have to double check, but I think someone has asked Ron DeSantis about this recently and he said no. So I, I, if I remember correctly, I think he said he's not looking to run in 2024. I, I'm not sure about that, but I have to double check. It's been a while. Um, but that's what I had predicted. And I predicted that I think the right, again, to clarify everyone listening, Tulsi Gabbard has not said she's going to the Republican Party. But I think the thing about Tulsi Gabbard, even when she ran for president through the Democratic Party in 2020, there were a good amount of conservatives that liked Tulsi Gabbard, even then. So she does have a base, somewhat of a base with them on the right. What I noticed, there was this shift from, oh gosh, what's her name? Oh my God, why can't I remember her name? Um, Marianne? The woman, the woman, um, Nikki, Nikki Haley. Okay, Nikki Haley, 
uh, about two years ago, they started to have a lot of focus on Nikki Haley, like on the right, right? Saying that, oh, maybe, maybe Nikki Haley will be the one that will run either as president or as a VP. Now, for those who are not familiar, uh, when I, I lived in South Carolina, I went to college there, and then I worked there for a couple years after I graduated from college, Nikki Haley uh, faced a lot of criticism in South Carolina from some of her own uh, members of her own party for people who are not aware. Because Nikki Haley is Sikh, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And so what she ran into is there were some state state officers or officers in the state house who made some pretty racist comments about Nikki Haley. And there was one uh, politician in particular who said, we already have a raghead in the White House. We don't need one in the state house. That's the party that Nikki Haley went into. So when you hear Nikki Haley make these statements about, oh, racism isn't that prevalent in America, it's not real, that's bullshit because she went through that herself. And so when they started to shift their focus away from her and I started to see more focus on Tulsi Gabbard, especially particularly on Fox News, that's when I was like, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if they shift their focus from Nikki Haley for a possible run to Tulsi Gabbard for a possible run. That's a really interesting take. And, you know, I, I, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, 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 I mentioned that story about how I reached out to Tulsi and asked her to run as a green again. She could have done, she could have kicked ass as a green in 2020. I mean, it would have saved us from Howie Hawkins, right? That would have been awesome. Um, but the, um, you know, if she had done it from the debate stage, right, really dropped the mic there, you know, said, hey, I'm I'm out of here. You guys are only I'm only pulling it like one or two percent. And you guys are all, you know, dupes. You know, I'm, I'm going to Green Party route or something. That would have been amazing, you know, but, you know, um, and, you know, uh, something to, um, you know, talking about like the Ford Party, which is a really interesting idea there, you know, Savvy. Um, there's um. Somebody I follow on Twitter here called Just a Thought. Um, I don't know if you know her, um, but she wrote an interesting tweet, and I'll just read it here because um, it kind of gets at this and ties um, Forward Party with with Tulsi. So the tweet says um, the establishment is pivoting. They know that millions of Americans no longer support the duopoly and never will again. They know we're getting louder. And then she writes. Don't be fooled, uh, Colin. Um, just as progressive pro progressives prove to be state actors, so will establishment independents like Yang and Gabbard. So she's making the point that, you know, we were fooled, you know, by these progressives, right, um, by the squad. You know, there were a lot of people that bought into the squad and only in 2020 did that we realize that hey the squad is 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 junk you know and similarly we're going to find that these establishment independents like yang and gabbard are are just the same and you know pulling the same kind of ops you know on us i thought that tweet was pretty interesting that's a good thing to mention um andrew oh boy andrew i i, I tried to get andrew yang on um I don't, I don't know. Andrew's really busy. I don't know what's happening with that. But I just think this whole idea of this party that is a centrist party 
it just doesn't make any sense to me. And, and you don't have any policies. And it's like, well, the policy depends on the person that's running. I'm like, we already have centrists in Congress. Why are we running more centrists? So to me, it's just like, I, I don't know. But I do think that the person who wrote that tweet, I think they have a point. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, watch out uh, for that yeah, I'll try to I'll try to um, maybe DM that to you or something so you can follow her. Um, but, yeah, you know, um, there's going to be a lot of money going into the Ford party. Right. It's it, you know, it's it's <laughs> I don't know what kind of play. I don't know if like maybe they're giving up on the Democratic Party and they're going to say, OK, there's this new Ford party. We're just going to pump all this money into to Yang and Gabbard and stuff like that. And what what they're doing there. I don't know. It's just I mean, they're there's a lot of rich people that are supporting that idea, you know? Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. A lot Seems of all sketched to me. Yeah. A lot of wealthy people. And I will say to people too, you know, also, you know, thinking about like the issue, like with Tulsi Gabbard, we do have to remember that the democratic party had pretty much decided that they were disowning her when she decided to endorse Bernie Sanders in 2016. She was supposed to endorse Hillary Clinton, or that's what they wanted her to do. And she said, I'm going to endorse Bernie Sanders. After that, the Democratic Party was done with her. Her career with the Democratic Party was over. Yeah. And yet she still decided to try to run for president in 2020 when she knew she didn't have a chance. She should have known better than anybody else, you know. Um, But she still did it, you know, and still said, I'm going to support Joe after she didn't get the nomination. I mean... Is she, is she that, didn't that make naive? Any sense either. That didn't make any yeah. sense either. And like, I'll, I'll give her kudos for tearing down Kamala Harris on the debate stage because that was needed. Because yeah. I could tell, I got to tell you how many people text me that night and said, I didn't know that about Kamala Harris. I was like, I did, you know? So yeah. I, I give her kudos for that. But Kamala Harris became vice president anyway. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was Tulsi that naive that she that she didn't know that she wasn't going to win the democratic party nomination because she was going to do it anyways. And then she was going to say to vote for Joe. And it's just, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, I, I don't want to tie up your phone line to, though. What's that? I think that was, her trying to, I think that was her trying to get back in her good graces with the democratic party. Well, last time I messed up and I endorsed Bernie Sanders. So this time around, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to endorse Joe Biden. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, hmm. it, uh, I don't know. I don't trust anything about Tulsi, to be honest, anymore. You know, at one point, I, I thought you'd be a great Green Party candidate for president, but it's just too much. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, I don't want to tie up the line here. I, I know there's other callers. So, um, hey, um, thanks so much, Savvy, um, for giving us a platform, um, you know, your fans here. And, um, you know, keep keep rocking it. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. Awesome. Thanks so much, Justin. We're going to go ahead and bring in D. Go ahead and add D here. D, you are on the mic. Just have to hit. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, I actually, I actually am going to take an opposite position on the whole thing. I was actually, I'm not going to defend AOC. I'm not, I'm not a fan of that guy. Like I'm not a fan to me. And and the, the 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 people on the left I see defending him to me fundamentally who who makes a criticism matters like you know as as a black person I'm sure you can understand this as a woman you can understand this there are people who make criticisms in such a way where you're like okay this is a black person who cares about black people they're making a criticism 
And then there are people who make a criticism in a way where it's like, this person is just performing. Like, you don't get to be, to me, anti-war guy if you voted for Donald Trump twice. There's just no, there's no, there's no way in which I can, I can justify that. And, and I just don't understand the celebration of, of that guy. And I, I don't understand the celebration of incongruent standards that people on the left have. Like, if AOC is not good enough, fine, that's, that's a perfectly good standard then no politician gets to be good enough. We can't have this thing where it's like, AOC's a sellout because she doesn't support Medicare for all and she's not good enough, but Tulsi is good or Trump is good. Like, like I, I just, to me, standards need to be logically congruent. <laughs> like if, if the squad is full of frauds, fine, but then no politician is good because they're, the clear, they're the clearest left politicians, obviously, in the United States that are elected other than the Green Party people. So I just, that's kind of my initial thoughts on that. And I'm just wondering why you think there's so much traction around that, like other than just hatred of of the squad. Well, I, I think there's a lot of traction around, well, that particular incident is because that video clip did go viral Yeah, on Twitter. So that that's part of it. Um, I get what you're saying um, in reference to, you know, he did vote for Trump twice. I did mention that tonight, like on my show, because I do think that is important for people to know. Um, and when I aired the the Jamal Bowman uh, clip, I didn't know that at that time, but I did find out that for this time. So I made sure I told people like just FYI, he did vote for Trump. You guys do need to know that. But just because he voted for Trump, that doesn't mean his criticism of AOC is incorrect. And I think that's important as well. I do know, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but Jose actually was on RBN earlier today with uh, Chris, excuse yeah. me, Chris, with Nick and CJ. Mm-hmm. And he was able to provide uh, more information. But from what I gathered, it's like, you know, that's his community, like in the Bronx. And like, I don't, I don't know if you've been to the Bronx. I have. Yeah, I, I have been to the Bronx. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like people there are really hurting. Like still, and when you say you have like these people that are going to fight for you, especially people that come from there, you're like, you're, you're one of us. Right. And they're the progressives going through and then they get there. And then it's been a couple of years, maybe not necessarily for Jamal Bowman, but for AOC, it's been a couple of years and you see nothing's improving in the community and he's working class. Jose is working class. So poor people and working class people are frustrated because they really did believe in the squad. I know I really believed in them. Not only yeah. that, I saw there were a couple things that I saw, like when they were running, like I literally saw people who really did not have the money to donate to them, who did it anyway, because they really believe these are, they're going to fight for me. They're not going to be like the corrupt Democrat that's been in office for years. Sure. They're going against that. So now you have all these people who had all this hope and donated like their last dollars and nothing has improved. In fact, their communities have gotten worse. Inflation is worse. Economically, things are not good for people, if, especially if you're working class or you're poor. Um, food is continuing to increase. So they're not seeing the improvement. So the thing is, they kind of look at it as like, look, we're giving, we're voting to give all this money to Ukraine. Where's the money for your district? Where's the money for the community? Where's the money for the neighborhood? Why are people still being evicted? 
Why is the homeless population increasing? When is the money going to come our way? When we're the ones who came out and supported you. Yeah, so I, I get that. I get that point. I, I, I guess the, the counter I would have, and, and this is something I just noticed, and, and it's something that like I noticed you said is those people are representative. But I, I do think and this is something that the left does a lot is, you know, Glenn, and, and particularly the white left. I mean, particularly if, if black left, I, I think actually is coming from kind of a the white left has this tendency to basically make everybody who supports the squad and Biden like PMC types and like. Most people who voted for Biden are those same people. And they're just saying in this system, I am choosing these people because I don't want those people to pick power. And so I, I do think it's important in these conversations because I, I noticed that Nick does this sometimes where he's like, it's PMC. It's like, no, I have family members that are working class and poor and black and they are frustrated. But they also see the fact that unfortunately there is not an uh, there has not been. There has not been, it to me, in my mind, a sufficient non-liberal movement to to combat reactionaries in in this country, other than the Democratic Party. Like, there's just not really a big movement in terms of a party I can vote for. And so, I think that I think that was my frustration, and it's my frustration with him supporting Tulsi because it's like, how can you, if you're working class, and 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 he's not even presenting himself as just a normie voter who kind of has idiosyncratic ideas like this guy's online so i'm treating him like he's a pundit how can you look at the tulsi video where she made where she had all those dog whistles and then when it comes to ukraine talk about nazism like that, that stuff like that uh sabrina just doesn't sit well with me people who don't fight nazis over here and then when it comes to ukraine they become the wokest person oh i'm so concerned with the nazis well what are you doing about nazis here and if you your your version of doing yeah. things about Nazis here is voting for Trump, then I got to question you. I, I just do. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Well, that's why it was important for us to talk about both sides. Because when uh, when Tulsi Gabbard made that announcement video at RBN, oh, we we destroyed that fucking video. We ate her up because it's just like we heard the right wing talking points. We heard some of the things that she was saying. And even tonight, when I talked about what happened with AOC, I said. I agree with some parts, but I said, I don't agree with the part about Tulsi Gabbard. And I didn't agree with the fact that people were saying Tulsi Gabbard's anti-war. And so I showed, I showed an example right, of a clip of Tulsi Gabbard calling for war, which I think a lot of people forgot about when she was on Tucker Carlson. And that wasn't that long ago. So I think it's important that you, you do talk about both sides. Like, I don't know why. Like people still support Tulsi now. If you're on the left and you still support Tulsi now, I do know why some people supported her in 2020. Um, but I but I can tell you why I'm, they support Tulsi right now. Yeah, I think why I think a lot of this, and 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 I don't want to like because you guys, you I, I I my politics are way different than yours, obviously. But I think you're in good faith. I think a lot of it is where the tea winds blow, Sabrina. Like here here's a perfect example. Why are none of these leftist content creators, and this is something no one, no one can answer, people will go after Bill Gates, people will go after any elite, no one really talks negatively about Elon Musk, why is that? Because online, if I talk about Bill Gates and COVID and whatever, I get way more traction than if I'm like, yeah, this is what Elon Musk did and corruption and everything. Like, there's certain people, a lot of this is motivated based on who's popular and who's not. I'm sorry, D, I do have to correct you there. RBN, those of us at RBN have criticized Elon Musk multiple times in streams. Multiple times. And no, I'm, I wasn't I'm saying you. I was saying leftists in general, though. Like, 
other leftists. I mean, I'm talking about people who I'm talking about mostly like white leftists. Like they don't really talk about Elon because Elon has a fan group. Like he does, he's not Bill Gates. Like if I make a YouTube video on why Elon Musk sucks, I'm going to get no likes compared to why Bill Gates sucks. So I think a lot of this is, is, is motivated by that. You know, like if I make a video on why Kamala sucks, that's going to do way more than if I make a video on why Tulsi sucks. So I think a lot of this is cynical, is is my point. Mm, that's that's interesting. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying about that, too. I think that it's important to note that, like, there was something you mentioned about um, a large, like, left movement in this country. And I think... This is what I've been asking my viewers to do. I think we need to stop looking at this as national politics is the only answer. Yeah. I think we need to focus more on local politics. And I talked about this before. I talked to Bree about this before that a lot of the things, some of these policies that Bernie Sanders was trying to get passed, we've already passed in Massachusetts. Like honestly, this on, on the national level, they're behind. We passed the right for 15 years ago. We yeah. passed um, paid family leave that started last year. Like some of the, it just, to me, it's just, it's if people knew what they could get done on the local level for some of these issues, and it's not just us. And people say, well, it's only blue states. No, Florida passed the right for 15. So it's just, you have to organize, talk to people on the local level. If you live in a state that's a ballot initiative state, there's no excuse why yeah. we shouldn't be trying to get these things on the ballot. That's stuff we can do on our own. And this is why I'm telling people the fastest way to get these things passed is on the local level. We legalized cannabis on the local level. Years ago, the, the federal government is behind. Well, so and, and that's what people need to, to shift their focus, I think. I and I, I will say, and I'm like I said, I'm much more I would say I'm much more of a like I just vote for the you know, who you know, like I'm gonna vote for the Democrat in the midterms, but I definitely agree with the local politics part because especially since the one thing I will say is that the fact that and this is terrible to say, but it's just me thinking practically, people do not pay as much attention to local politics. So they're willing to probably give someone who's let's just say a very left person, very progressive person in their local community, a chance in a way. And that can facilitate change in a way where like, you know, you can't run a DSA candidate for Ohio Senate because they're going to have a million ads, but you can run. I've seen red communities elect very progressive candidates and green party candidates because they know the person. So I actually think that's a great idea because unfortunately I think federally it's just going to be harder because you know, I mean, if you look at even someone like Paul Jean Swearingen, if you know who, remember who that is. Yep. She did worse than Biden in West Virginia on the same ticket in the same year because it was such a, it was, it was a Senate race. So there was so much attention to her that people are like, she's far left, whatever, like whatever attacks against her work, she did worse than Biden. But if you, she were to run like locally, someone like that would have an excellent shot. So I, I definitely agree with um, the left in terms of local politics, for sure. You know, and then exactly. national politics are just always going to be, I think, more of an uphill battle because, um, like it or not, I know you'll probably disagree with me, and I'll, then I'll hang up, but like it or not, I, I just don't think on a national level the electorate as, is as left as we like to think. Like, I don't think there are 50% of people who are like, 
if only we had someone to the left of Ilhan Omar, I'd be out there marching. Like, I, I just, I mean, Biden's getting killed for even something like student loan debt, which we thought was a popular idea, which was meager. It's pulling at 50-50, <laughs> which is scary. Well, it's, even, well, Joe Biden has even walked some of that back. So it's not even what it was said to be. And I know that because I, I'm one of the people that got that email to fill out the form for the student loans, but it's it's been walked back. So it's not even said of what, is, what it was supposed to be. But, but I think a big part of the problem is the majority of, when you look at the data, the majority of poor people in this country do not vote. And part of that has to do with the fact that we don't have a holiday for election day. So a lot of people are working on election mm-hmm. day. And the other part of it is, and some countries have that, they have it where election day is off, but the other part of it is, and I've, I've talked to a lot of those people and I've, I've gone into, I talked to residents recently at a housing project in Boston. They said, vote, vote for the president for what? Nothing. They're not going to do anything. My life isn't going to improve. They, they know this is a game. So they don't, they don't really care to ask them to take off to work from work and not get paid to go stand in line for hours and vote for someone who's not going to help them anyway. Yeah. 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 Well, the student, I will say the student loan debt thing is depressing because even if you look at polling and polling's polling's not always perfect, but polling's like something like 45% of people are like not even doing the whole, Oh yeah. I'm mad because it didn't go far enough. Like 40% of people or something in these swing States are saying there should be no student loan debt. So I actually think we on the left have a lot of work to do because there are a lot of people who have materially poor conditions and they're brainwashed into thinking that, something like that won't help them. Like like that, like the amount of poor people I've seen who are even like, Oh yeah, Ben Shapiro has like good ideas. It's like, it's really, really scary. Um, but yeah, thank you for taking my call. And um, yeah, I just want to help, you know, the line get moving. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad we were able to find some agreement on, on that, uh, that guy. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. The, okay. looks like we're bringing in Eric. I'm not sure which Eric, maybe this is Eric that is a kid on YouTube. There's multiple Eric's that come through. Hello. Hey, Savvy, how you doing? How are you? I'm doing great. Good, good, good. Yeah, this is the ad kid. Hey, I, I just wanted to say first salute to you for that speech on Julian and Sancho over the weekend. I thought you did a great job, um, and there was very little to no MS um coverage but i thank thought you energy uh from your stream and just the people that were there was awesome yeah just it was great i actually felt like there was a lot of people and probably had we had a little bit more coverage uh i guarantee you that this would have been heard probably wider than the audience that we get here on the, on the left but nevertheless, thank you for doing that. I really appreciate you and then uh, the gang for doing that. I appreciate that. And then, you Misty. know, following up, I got the other talking points. Uh-huh. Misty, yeah, that's right. That's right, Misty. Uh, the other one, um, the other thing here with AOC being called out, you know, I think people, some people are missing the point. I heard uh, Nick and CJ uh, talk to Jose earlier today. The point was not anything to do with Tulsi. And in fact, uh, Nick has made some comments basically saying that, you know, Tulsi is in a sense two-faced and not to be believed. 
and I believe Nick, you know, socialist MMA, when he says this about Tulsi, unfortunately, Jose and the other guy that were calling out a C. For whatever reason, you know, they pointed out instead Tulsi's name, uh, these Kyle and some other po folks are using. Uh, oh, Eric, I, I think you're Tulsi breaking up. The one that's actually I think you're breaking up. Tulsi is not in the government. Oh, right. Okay. Can you hear me now? Is yeah, I can better? hear you better now. Yeah. As I was saying was this, you know, some people are missing the point with AOC being called out by Jose. Jose was on the show with CJ and Nick, and Nick has stated, uh, has made comments that basically Tulsi is two-faced. He didn't actually say that, but in a sense, Tulsi is no good. Tulsi is not in the government. Tulsi does not get to vote on anything. So, unfortunately, Jose and the other guy that called out AOC mentioned her name. They probably shouldn't have mentioned her at all. Because the likes of all the surrogates that are sort of covering and, and uh, providing cover for AOC are using that as a way to deflect. The yeah. point The point is AOC is a sellout. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's that's really yeah. a good point, Eric, um, to bring up. And that was something I, I think I mentioned tonight as well. Is like Tulsi Gabbard is not in Congress. And you're right. And, and I've heard someone else mention this earlier tonight on the call in that they wish that they didn't mention Tulsi's name because, yes, it does take the attention away from AOC. And now people can point towards Tulsi Gabbard and not focus on what AOC is doing as a politician. That's right. And you had, you know, the other guy from the Green Party, whatever he was saying about Jose. I don't know Jose, you know, and I always try to look at the opportunities that are presented to us. And not to get into all the other BS, this guy called out AOC and is getting some traction. We need to leverage this opportunity to propagate the fact that she is a sellout, that she hasn't done anything for the people in her district, like Jose and others. That's what we need to focus. All the other stuff, unfortunately, they talked about Tulsi. That has nothing to do with nothing. It's AOC who's in power in that area who could actually do something. And that's what we need to focus on her, not not anything else, just her. Uh, and definitely she's a, you know, she's a sellout. There's no question about that. Tolsky is, is probably, you know, taking advantage, trying to get attention for herself, whatever. That doesn't for anybody. So we need to leverage that to our advantage that this guy, Jose, did this. And we can speak to it and propagate the idea, the concept that she is a sellout. Uh, and, you know, there's some underlying issues right now. I, I'm sure that, you know, overseas, the banks are becoming insolvent. Here we have inflation nearing 10 percent. Gas prices about seven dollars in California. Uh, just a whole bunch of crap that's, you know, all coming together right now, Savvy. And there's a chance that. The party in power who controls the White House, the Senate, and the House of Representatives are taking us into a war that we don't need to be a part of. All the while, we need the money that they're sending overseas for the people that are homeless here in America and all the other problems that we have. And I guarantee you, they're just going to take advantage of everything that's happening. 
to get our minds off of what's really what we should be focusing, which is us, the people here in the U.S. and all the problems that we have. Uh, so, I, you know, I really see there's probably a shitstorm coming our way that's probably already started and we're not going to be able to get out of it for probably a few years, if not maybe decades, because a lot of the analysts, and even though most of these analysts are capitalists, they do have history on their side that all these things that are brewing are going to cause a great, you know, probably depression, recession uh, in the coming years. If we're probably already there as we speak today and nobody's doing anything about it. And what we need to do is talk about it and point the fingers to the people that have brought us here, which are the Democrats and the Republicans, to the speaker, to the caller that before, you know, was talking before. We, we should not be voting for more Democrats because they have brought us to where we are today. We need to focus on getting out of the two-party system and looking at other ways of doing things. Well said. Yeah, well said. Well said. I think I think you brought up some really valid points there and you're right. Like if we go into a nuclear war and I, I said this earlier on the show, Congress they will be okay. The politicians will be protected. They're going to make sure they're going to be safe. See, this goes back to the the money issue and the class issue. This is what I'm trying to tell people. We, we, they're trying to take us into this dangerous territory where we could end up into a nuclear war. Why are they trying to call for peace? Why are they calling for like some kind of peace? You see what I'm saying? This is just another way to fund the Money. weapon, Money. The, the weapon industry. Exactly. To fund people like Lockheed Martin. Like this is a problem to fund people like Raytheon so they can continue to build and send weapons abroad. But, and I'm going to talk about this tomorrow on RBN, what people have to realize is you have millionaires and billionaires in this country, they have already built underground bunkers to protect themselves. You have Bill Gates who is buying farmland to protect and feed himself and his family. What are the rest of us going to do when shit hits the fan? Do you think AOC and Jamal Bowman and all these people that they want you to stand for and the squad are gonna come and help us out? They're not gonna help us out. We're going to be on our own and they'll be protected. And then all those people who are pointing fingers saying, don't criticize them, be nice to them. Those people are going to be crying and weeping because then they'll really see them for what they really are. We have to understand, like for a lot of us, they're not a part of our class anymore. Even if they were, they're not now. Yeah. And they're protected yeah. in ways that we are not. That is correct. That is correct. And, you know, another thing, Savvy, uh, I'm getting a little bit of an echo. Hopefully you don't hear it. But um, I just watched this clip that came on my my feed last week about who controls America. And it was interesting because it was this guy that put together a book and maybe you read it. I wasn't aware of it till this week. Who controls America? But he, But this is back, I think, like in the early or mid 80s, I believe, that this guy was able to find and dig and basically came to the conclusion that the people that are running America are indeed the corporations and the families who have historically had all the money. They are the ones who actually pull the, pull the levers and push direction of where we go. Uh, we have nothing to do with that. Uh, you know, just something more to think about RBN's message because 
we have been all been sold a, a package of goods that are not anything like we think it is. We are not controlling anything. The everyday person in America has zero to do with the policies that get passed. It's these people that have all the power and all the money that are actually moving the needle well beyond the politicians that we see. These guys are way above them, and they are the ones who control where things are headed or not headed. And it's always based on what benefits them. To your point, like Bill Gates, right? These are the folks that are actually driving things in the background. Uh, and it's, it's not that hard for people to realize how that works. You can look at your own, like if you have a job, you could see who controls things in your own little company. And you can see that all it takes is one person to make say, hey, we're going to go this way. We're going to do this, not that. That's the way that a lot of things work in America. You have these people that are sitting really up high, the one percenters, whatever you want to call them. They drive the direction of the country. And if they're going to benefit because of a war, they're going to do it because they'll be okay. And the rest of us are not going to be okay. And that's where we need to come together with the classes. There's really an opportunity right now to get together with the people on the other side, meaning Republicans, you, you know, whatever it is, because the majority of us are all in that same class. We are going to eat shit <laughs> if the country goes into war and a recession or a depression. We're going to be the ones that are going to be hurting. All of us, Savvy. Those guys up high and the government folks, they're going to be okay, but not us. So we need to figure out a way to come together. So thank you. Thank you, Savvy. Thank you. Well said, a kid. Thank you so much for that. That is very true, guys. This is why I keep telling you we have to focus on the class issue because, like I said, the the um, when it comes to who is going to be protected, the politicians they're going to be protected. We will not be like shit hits the fan. I'm telling you, we're going to talk about this tomorrow about the bunkers because I think there should be some type of limit to all this farmland that Bill Gates has been able to purchase, which isn't going to benefit any of us. Like, this is just crazy. I'm going to bring in uh, Cryo. Cryo Synth, you're on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Um, so it's, I'm just going to start where um, Eric left off a little bit. Um, I think in terms of RBN, I think I, I think some people know in the chat I'm a, I'm a critic, <laughs> but I'm also a lover. <laughs> and I think that there's so much positive energy with RBN that can be harnessed into something that doesn't always um, focus everyone on just not ju really just because obviously you do these awesome summits and I watch every single one of them and I get so much information and that's the purpose of them but I think people want to see these summits become action in a way that is moving us past these disruptive divisive words of what you guys like to call the professional managerial class, but 
what you're calling the professional managerial class, at least the way this Catherine Liu describes it, is also ignoring the previous definition of what the professional managerial class is, which you need to take into account, not just what Catherine Liu says uh, as far as a politician or, or some sort of talking head, um, which would be the mouthpiece of whatever um, side of the one party there is, <laughs> whatever side of the circle that they're taking, the circle jerk. Um, you know, it's also people like me. <laughs> I work in IT. I get paid a decent salary. I work at a large, uh, well-known company that it's not a IT company per se, but when you when I join every single company that claims it's not an IT company, what I have to say to them is you all have to become an IT company in order to continue doing business in this world. But one thing that they don't take into account is the cybersecurity team that gets their training is part of the deep state. All of the training that you that they get is likely from years and years and years of everything that could possibly be gathered from NSA professionals, from um, FBI professionals. You know, they'll they'll have a you know a whole ten day course on how they caught Kevin Mitnick and why it's important to also take you know care of people who can just walk into a building and get something regardless of the technology that they have, because that's what Kevin McNick did. That's what he was famous for. He didn't need technology to get this information to hack a system. Um, so what you have to do <laughs> is kind of take this energy that I feel every time I watch one of your shows and transform it into um, give some examples. And I know you do this, but I think it's more we all have to start contributing to you. But I don't think we know how. Um, these people that are I work with every day, like I would call myself a knowledge worker, but I get a headache every single day I disconnect from, from it. It's not a place I want to be, but it's a, it's a place where I can see what's happening to the world in a way that's not something you want it to be. And that's what I take away from it. it. It destroys a little bit of my soul, but I'm taking away stuff and I'm planting seeds on my own wherever I go. Um, take this energy of not just the political people who like AOC and all her mouthpieces like Kyle Kalinske and, um, you know, Jank and Anna and, and all of them. They don't matter. They, at the end of the day, when you when you're talking to your neighbor, when you're looking at three houses get knocked down and these disgusting like multi-level townhouses get put up in 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 your whole neighborhood gets starts to get gentrified, um, think about taking over your community with the information that RBM provides, filming this in a series of our own and presenting it through RBN. Um, Make a website of of information and materials that RBN preaches almost every day, and uh, a hub 
make an information hub where we can all access this information, make a secure forum site that's not connected to Discord or anything like that, that we can talk to you and have and spread and share our ideas. So, you know, I watch RBN every day and I get a little bit dismayed lately because I just feel like it's, we're watching, we're, we're picking apart a soap opera, the soap opera of our government, the soap opera of, you know, AOC and her wonderful ice skate. You know, she's a she's an ice skater. She's competing in the Olympics and she's got this tremendous backstory and everyone falls in love with her. And then then there's the other one. Uh, I forget her name, who knocked the the other girl out like she actually. <laughs> broke her foot or whatever that was i forget oh you talking about nancy kerrigan and tanya yeah <laughs> tanya harding <laughs> that's what this is that's what this is and i you know i just can't anymore you know i i love rbn but i just i can't watch it anymore um it's not it's i need to see more where are we going with this? And I think Catherine Lula misses the mark completely. Her book is basically just saying, reject it, but don't do it. She's not providing any details of how to reject that. And she can't because I don't think she can really see what she's missing, what the real PMC was becoming back in the early 2000s. And when that bubble popped, they made sure that bubble was never going to pop again. And people like Google and Facebook and all these big tech companies came around and they needed to be able to control the narrative. And this big machine just started brewing and brewing. And this is what we have today. And unless we develop something at our level, um, you know, our local communities, I think you're right on target, think local local politics, um, city council, you can, you can mutate, you can mutate into something of your own. I don't know how far attached you can be. Like, I don't know the answers. Like I, I'm just saying that I think this is the next step. And I love the message that you have with these, you know, fight, fight AOC, because obviously she's a hack, you know, all these things. But to me, it's like, I'm get. I'm like, yeah. All right. But what next? <laughs> um, right. So I'll just interject here for a second. Um, we do have like, in terms of actions and getting people involved in their own communities, that's actually what the activist summit is for. So that's coming up in two weeks where we'll have different activist organizations that are on and different activists, um, to explain to you guys how they did it and why they did it. But also in reference to the website, we have a website. It's supposed, it should be ready around the time that the activist summit starts. Oh, the reason awesome. why a lot of these things um, have been delayed is because of resources. Like I'll give you guys an example, like resources is really what holds us back. That website, that was like $1,200. Right. So because like we don't have, you know, there's like five of us and at one point there was more than five. So there's like five of us. Um, When we like 
look at funding and stuff like that. Like our Patreon is nowhere near what other people's Patreon is. So we take funds from like the Patreon. And then we also take funds from, if we get funds from like PayPal, like that kind of thing. And we try to use those funds either towards like that website um, or towards, there's also fundraising for Rome's tour for the poor and things like that. But the biggest hurdle that we've had is the resources. Like financially, we just weren't at that point. Um, but luckily, we will have that that website up and going, and that stuff will be on the website. Another thing that we do plan to do, or at least I plan to do with Rome, is to do a uh, a panel to explain to you guys how to do mutual aid and how to start a mutual aid group in your area. Now, all of us plan to have our own, like, basically tour for the poor branch in our area. CJ's already started his up in LA. I'll be starting mine up in, in Boston, well, not necessarily Boston, but Massachusetts area and, and so forth and so forth. Um, but the biggest hurdle that we've had has been resources. So just to give you guys an idea, there are people who get like $10,000 a month on Patreon. We don't get that. We don't even get half of that. So it's easier yeah. for them. That's that's why we get so angry because we're like, if you're making ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars a month on Patreon, why are you not trying to to use some of those resources to mobilize the people? And I understand everyone's not an activist, but you have the resources though, and you're right. not using the resources to help those people who are organizing. Uh, another example that Julian Assange event in DC, like Misty and them had to do a GoFundMe for that. Like we, we don't like the funding just isn't there. And yeah. luckily yeah, there were, people, yeah. yeah, luckily there were people like Jimmy Dore who gave Misty that platform to get that out there. And I think that really helped uh, funding wise, but this is usually where we run into a brick wall is because when we do have these things coming up, we're not given a platform on these larger channels that would bring those resources in. Right. So we always end up hitting like a limit per se. But yeah, that is something that has been like in the works is just getting the resources together and getting the funding. That's been the hardest part. Mm-hmm. I think, well, back in the day, <laughs> we had zines. We had, and I know that also costs a lot too get a print but I think you know putting things up in your local areas to point people to your website to this information um, that could capture the eyes of people who aren't going to tune into your YouTube channel um, or aren't going to find you on Twitter or or wherever you are electronically to know about your activist summit. Um, I know there's a lot of people who are all online and everything they do is online. There are people that do things that they're just, you know, a group of grandmas, you know, in, in, the, in the community. <laughs> so, um, you know, I don't know how much that would help you, but I think, you know, putting things up in laundromats and, and just, com- places where people in the community gather could also help. I don't want to take up the whole time on this, but 
you know, I, I know you guys are moving and, 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 and trying to do things. And if I can help you out in any way, I would absolutely love to do that. It's just that my time is, you know, I'm caretaking. My money goes to that. My money, you know, a lot of the finances I have, it's like, I'm also, even though I make a decent salary, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Um, it's just medical stuff and, and a lot of stuff, you know, and <laughs> we all know the story, but I can, you know, I can, I can definitely put my, myself out there, um, and, and help you resource wise, tech wise, um, you know, at least think of some, you know, not, you know, budget friendly things to do. Like, for instance, the markup language is a language that is just um, sort of it's user friendly, it's tech based, it's it te text based. It's basically like sort of a WYSIWYG editor without the HTML code, but you could translate that to HTML. So if you had someone who's just doing a lot of like a blog and then take that and then someone else could prettify, prettify that, then you don't have to worry about someone doing your content uh, and also, you know, paying one person to do content as well as um, making it look pretty because you're providing it to them in a markup language to make it look pretty already and they should be able to know how to, how to transfer that uh, information. And, you know, it, it's stuff like that. Like if I could help you with that, I'm, I'm open to it. Um, like, I don't like to come in the channel and say, stop concentrating on this and that and do more of this because I know you guys are doing that. But it's like, it's almost like it just seems like you are also falling into this downward spiral of um, this is the content you're making and the solutions are hard to find. The solutions that you're providing to people are hard to find. And I feel like I'm afraid your stuff is just going to disappear one day. So having all of your summits backed up and summaries and transcripts of your summits and, you know, places where where we as the community, you know, and people who want to do mutual aid and build our own communities apart from the uh, this technological nightmare and um, and contact each other all over the country, all over the international spectrum. We need to have our own separate networks to be able to do that and connect. And they have to be separate from this machine that has been created that only people like AOC and the fake squad and all of this fakery just persists. And I don't see people like Kyle Kalinske doing anything to stop that. There is no accountability for for funding Ukraine, and there never, ever, ever will be, because somebody has to come in and say, you, the West, you're no longer the big kahuna. You know, that, that's what it's going to come down to. But we, as the people of this country, need to be able to survive that, because we don't know if the person is going to be a beneficial to us that's or the the other entities the countries that are becoming multipolar we're not making a good impression on them <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's all good points i mean i will say that all of us individually you know we're doing what we can like within our community for example 
Nick, and I think Nick has mentioned this a couple times on stream, but Nick works with Casey Tennant. So again, like that's his community. Uh, CJ works with um, with uh, Watts. Like he, I know he's organized an organization there where he started his own mutual aid group because like the need for people there is like people don't have money for even funerals, like where he lives. So I know right. he's worked with people there. Rome, as you all know, does tour for the poor, but we do tour for the poor with Rome when he comes like to our areas. Exactly. But even right now, like that. Rome went down to Jackson, Mississippi to give them water. And there were a couple of people, I'm not sure if they live in Mississippi or not, but there were a couple of RBN uh, viewers who met Rome in Jackson, Mississippi to help him uh, with that. So that happens a lot of times. You just may not see it as much because Rome doesn't stream as much like the rest of us. And then I think um, JB, obviously, you know, JB is disabled. So JB does what he can like online. And then for me, like I talk to United Front Against Displacement. So I talk to, the, I work with them every week. These are the things that you guys don't see. Uh, so when you guys, if you saw that housing video that I did, um, where I talked about uh, corrupt housing in Boston, where I went to talk to people who were living in um, Grant Manor housing project, where yeah. they were just basically, the building was falling apart. That was me in collaboration with United Front Against Displacement. That's an entire organization. They'll actually be at the activist summit and they have different locations across the country, but they, we work together with the housing issues. So these are the things you guys don't see because I can't, the reality is not everybody wants to be on camera. So every time I meet with someone about an initiative, I can't always film it. Right. And I think that's, that's an important thing to mention too, but we all have different, different areas in the community that we work with. But my big focus, at least for me in my area is housing because housing has been a problem here since I moved here 11 years ago. So I am, so that's who I work with, with the United Front Against Displacement. But you guys are going to see all of these groups, all these organizations at the Activist Summit and another one that's going to be coming on too, which I don't think, I don't think a lot of people realize just how much they do within their communities is Socialist Alternative. They're not mm. just like a let's do election type that that's just like a secondary thing. They're really active in their communities. They're doing mutual aid and those kind of things. But yeah, I totally hear you. Like I said, you'll get a lot of this information at the Activist Summit and the website should be up by then that has that type of information on it. And then also, um, I do plan to do that, that panel with Rome so we can explain to you guys step by step how to do mutual aid in your community. You don't necessarily have to have like this nonprofit. You can if you want to, but there are ways to do this very easily um, instead of trying to go through all of that red tape. So, okay. I will uh, reach out to the email that Ware Pilgrim put in the chat as well. Um, but thank you. And I also, um, one question I have, and I'll end at that point is being that the Democratic and Republican parties have less than half uh, the country's membership, what do you think it would take for people who are not represented by those parties um, to say, oh, uh, we're actually 
the majority. <laughs> um, you don't represent us. This is not a representative democracy. You know, the Republicans take up their voting, their registered voting people. The Democrats take up their registered voting people. Yes, some independent people might come in and vote in their general elections, but they're not registered to that party for whatever reason that is. Right. Where it's become over 50% of the population of the country. Um, and that isn't going to change the other way with the actions and the acts of Biden and uh, Trump. And, and no, none of these people are are marketing their brand, so to speak, in, in any acceptable manner. You know, people with a brain cell don't want to really be associated with this crap. Um, it's forced down your throat. So I wonder, and I wonder what you think, what is it going to take for that unrepresented group of people, which really it's almost, you know, it's obviously it's the 99% to actually say this system <laughs> is invalid. Right. Well, I think part of it is doing like what Jose did. It's going to those town halls and calling them out. Now, here's the thing. I don't want you guys to to go to events where you have to pay to see them. And and I say that mm. because some I've seen them do this recently where they're like, oh, you got to pay to to see us. I'm talking about like these free town halls that happen in all of our communities. And it's not just with uh, progressives in Congress it's also with your city councilors. Now, city council meetings are free, you guys, and they're right. usually held in the evening, usually. Um, it's going to those meetings and, and calling them out and holding them accountable. Like, look, AOC had to be embarrassed. She was embarrassed. Jamal Bowman was embarrassed. That's what it's going to take. And it's going to take more than just Jose. Other people have to do that. That's That's what needs to happen. So number one, you have to call them out. And number two... Majority of last time I checked and I'll check again, but the last time I checked, the majority of registered voters are independent. So what is happening with that particular group? Are independents That's what I would like to know. <laughs> exactly. Like why, why are independents not holding, holding that leverage? Are independents just deciding, okay, I'm either going to go Democrat or Republican this election cycle well, no, like if you're an independent, you can just vote for the independent or the third party candidates. So that's another thing. We need to reach those people. And third, the majority of Americans don't vote. The majority of, and this is, I don't know if everyone's aware of this, the majority of African-Americans don't vote. The majority of poor people don't vote. The majority of working class people don't vote. So who's really voting? I think the trust is lost and that's why you're not getting any quote unquote viable third party. Maybe they were maybe they were viable in the past, but after one or two cycles of low performance or bad represent representation, they're just going to become irrelevant to people. Their name will be lost to the wind. Um you as I said, the RBN folks, I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing you guys as the future of this. And I'm not trying to put, I'm trying to say that we're all kind of, we should all be involved 
as the future of this, but we all need to be connected in a way that isn't part of this uh, managed network that we're all linked up to. I think we have to have avenues of communication, uh, of being able to, to, to say good job to each other. And I think, you know, I think a lot. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that I think we can all kind of work together. We all come here to your show every every uh, you know session, and I think we should start coming away with maybe some homework to work together. Um, uh, and maybe you know RBN can do those asks. You're you're doing things in the back background, but I would when you get that website up, I would absolutely love to see. We need this. We need this. We need this. Roles, people. Um, you know, the, the kind of money that you're thinking you need a budget for a particular project because I think, I think your ideas is exactly what the communities of this country need and to build that trust to be able to build a better system. You can say to people blue in the face that the DNC and the RNC are terrible, two-party system, yada, yada, unelected government is controlling everything, yada, yada. But people need to see results of something, and I think that this that you've got I think you've got a good chance here to 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 show and prove that and bring in the other people that are doing that today and show how they are changing. We need a hub um, is what I'm trying to say a hub of information and and to show our own accountability. Screw AOC. <laughs> Well said, Cryo. Well said. Thank you so much for calling in. I want to bring in uh, Hector, who has a picture of a wolf with a rose. Well, well, well. Hector, you are on the mic. Just have to unmute. I think that's a wolf with a rose and sunglasses. Can you hear me now? Hello, I can hear you. Hey, yeah, it's a little wolf. I just didn't have anything to put up, so I just did that real quick. <laughs> I just found him on Google real quick. <laughs> little wolfy. Usually I have a dog, but the wolf is as close as I can get. Well, welcome. Well, How welcome. are you? Thanks. I'm good. I kept um hanging up accidentally on calling. I kept getting pushed to the end of the line. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, it, it happens sometimes. Like when people, I don't know what happens. You guys have, have told me this before. Sometimes people hit unmute and they they fall out of the queue. I, I don't know what happens sometimes with the app. It was my first time really using the app, so I just blame myself on that one. Oh, well, how are you? What's your take on all Good. of this? Act oh. Well, I want to talk a little bit about AOC first. She, I, I want to thank Jose for asking the question because that's really all that's important. No answer AOC is going to give is really going to satisfy anyone. It's either going to be gaslighting, a lie, or a distraction. The question is the win. That's all you're ever going to get is the question out there. And maybe you get people talking. That's really all you can hope for. Because a politician is going to give you an answer that's just going to be a runaround. We all know that. There's never going to be anything good out of their mouths. AOC, though, doesn't even really want to answer. The, doesn't even 
Forget about responding to the question. They don't even want the question asked. And I say this a little bit out of experience because I think everybody remembers forced to vote. Back then, AOC, she had a town hall, a virtual one. And I signed up and I went to the virtual one. It was still COVID times, so it was all online. It didn't matter if you were in her district or not. And there were about 200 people there. And I thought, oh, okay, at least I have a chance to get my question out there. And my question was, uh, you submit your question as a text, and it goes up on the board, and everybody can see it. And then they'll go through the questions, and they'll select one. My question was simple. It was, to AOC, it was, we've been trying to, we've been trying to reach out to you to see if you withhold your vote for Nancy Pelosi for Medicare for All. Have you talked to the other squad members about it, and what was their response? That was my question. And the moderator, who was her chief of staff, I believe, was just going through the questions randomly. She wasn't, she wasn't going them straight down the list. So there was a good chance my question would just be passed over. But it wasn't enough for my question to be passed over. They actually went in and deleted my question. And you can see everyone's question. You can see my question just disappear from the queue. They didn't even want the question being asked. So I was doing it a lot. There's a lot of political politeness. Like people don't like yelling or screaming. There's a nice way to ask a question. Well, I asked in a very nice way a question, and that got me nowhere. It just got me deleted. They don't even want the question asked. So that's a part of it. The best you can do is get in their face and be heard by other people. It doesn't really matter the response. Response is secondary. It it's, doesn't even matter, really. But AOC, okay, go ahead. I was just going to say um, what you just said about your question being deleted. You know yeah. what's interesting? You know, I have my criticisms of Rokana, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Everybody does, yeah. <laughs> One thing I will say, Rokana still answers the question. He he still goes on the shows. I don't know why. <laughs> but he does. He knows. he knows. Like, he even came on my show and, like, I'm surprised he didn't dip out after the first question. But, like, yeah. he still answers the question. He may not. He'll tell you, like, well, I don't agree. He told me, like, I don't agree with people that voted for Jill Stein. And then I just, like, told him. I was like, well, no. Like, Hillary Clinton was a bad candidate. But at least he answers the question. He also said, I didn't agree. I don't agree with Democrats fundraising off of Roe v. Wade. Why can't right. AOC and them do that? I think you bring up a great point. Um, I think AOC really is not even a good politician. Let me, let, let me take Obama for an example. When he first ran, a big reason that he won the first time was his vote against the Iraq war. That was a big deal. Because so many other people had voted for it. And it was it was looked at even kind of strange then to see someone vote against the war. And then he won on that because it turned out to be a terrible war. And everybody really turned against it later on. But what happened when he got to office? As soon as he got to office, he continued that war for several more years. In fact, we never really we never left Iraq. I don't know if people know this, but to this day. We have a base there, and there's about 2,500 soldiers still there. We've left Afghanistan, but we're still in Iraq. That's like yeah, a, that's going to be just one another one of our. That's yeah, going to be one I of our another permanent bases. Yeah. No, you're right. I know people that have done multiple tours in Iraq. 
Mm-hmm. Multiple. And yeah, and this relate what my point relating to AOC is. Why don't you just vote against the Ukraine thing? It's going to pass anyways. At least you look good to your base, even though you're lying to them. You know you're you're gonna you're for it. You can vote against it; it'll pass, and you, you can fool us all the way to your next election. She won't even she won't even go to the to the place of fooling us with her votes, which she could do. You see what I'm saying there? That's a good point because they already know when they have the votes, and you know how I know that because Rokana admitted that to me when I interviewed him. He's like, mm-hmm. we didn't have the votes. Why didn't you guys bring this to the floor for a vote? We didn't have the votes. So that told me they already know if they have the votes or not. So if you already know that it's going to pass, you just brought up a really good point, Hector, that I never thought about. Why not stand up for your base and vote against it? Right. It, even if you... Unless, unless you're trying to be a careerist as a politician, though. I mean, that's got to be it, Right. I can't think of any other reason because it's bad politically for you. So I don't, I don't know about that. That's, that's a really good point. Like, like I told you guys, they all, they signed that pledge. They signed that pledge. And that was one of the items that was in the plan. The pledge was not to be for war and and they signed it. And so when people tell me like, why, what if we have this document that they could sign and then we know that they're not going to do it. I'm like, We've already done that. Yeah, I mean, I have this video from AOC. She left it up on her Facebook page. It's when she was, it's before she won. I don't think everyone, anyone ever plays it, but basically it's, she, she signed a Medicare for all pledge. And it says, I will stand up for Medicare for all, not just in words, but in action. That's the pledge. You think she kept that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's also another thing that was mentioned on her website. And I don't know if everybody remembers this, but the first time that she ran on her website, it stated that basically she would not, number one, she wouldn't take corporate money, but also she would not give money to corporate candidates. And she's done that too. Yeah. I would say I was, yeah, I was a big, huge, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's no there's no there's no accountability like what happens if they don't do what they say they're going to do there's no punishment there's no accountability i mean look at someone like joe manchin joe manchin still has committee assignments now all these democrats say that they're they're upset with him and that he's holding back their legislation but if that's the case why haven't they removed him from any of his committee assignments marjorie taylor green has been removed from committee assignments I didn't know that. Yeah, she's been removed. <laughs> so her party has removed her. Why hasn't the Democratic Party removed Joe Manchin from committee assignments? Because they secretly want him out there. <laughs> exactly. Because secretly they would still rather have him in office than Paula Jean Swearingen. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she was the real Absolutely. deal. Like, I'm sorry, I know people have, some people have criticisms of her now, but Paula Jean Swearingen was the real deal. She was the justice Democrat. She was the person from the working class. Like, for people who don't know this, and Paula Jean, I'm saying this because she's mentioned this before on my show. Paula Jean Swearingen lives in a trailer. She didn't go to Boston University like AOC. Mm -hmm. She didn't, she didn't, her parents didn't own 
like an architect architecture company. She didn't have all that stuff. She didn't do an internship for Ted Kennedy. She didn't have anyone in her family in politics. And Cori Bush did. And I found that out later on. I was like, oh, so she had someone who was in politics. So she really was the justice Democrat. And she was the one that was really not pushed for. She should have been the face of Justice Democrats. Instead, they made AOC the face of Justice Democrats. And she wasn't even what she said she was. Yeah, I was a huge supporter of AOC. I was a big fan. In fact, I followed her very closely. And at the end, it was actually AOC that made me leave the Democratic Party. I was just so disappointed in everything she did. Yeah, for me, it was it was a combination of of her and Bernie Sanders, like Bernie Sanders, the first time around telling us vote for Hillary Clinton because we can't get Trump. Then he did the same thing the second time around. And he actually told people to vote for Joe Biden before he even suspended his campaign. That's when I realized Bernie Sanders is not yeah, I don't even know why Bernie stay. I mean, he's what, almost 80 now? I don't know what he's still doing in office. He's been there for so long. He could have just left and then he could do, he could do more good on the outside. He shouldn't be in that office at all. He thinks he could do more good in there, but he can't. He could do way more good with action, with organizing people. And Bernie, Bernie has money. He's good. He's done his, he's had his time. He should have retired at 65. He's at 80 now. Yeah, no, I I I agree with you on that one. I would also say too, for people who are not aware, like one of my best friends lives in Burlington, Vermont. That's why, like, I know quite a bit about Vermont. <laughs> and um, but yeah, I have friends that live there that have moved there, and for people who are not aware, in Burlington, Vermont, Bernie Sanders is still very much beloved. For people who are not aware, like they love him there, absolutely love him, and. You know, to him, he's still, he's he's the independent, right? He's different. And to the rest of us, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. like, we're like, no, but you got to understand the type of city Burlington, Vermont is like they, it's not a large population. Um, they have a lot of local businesses there, mom and pop shops. Even during the pandemic, they didn't really shut down the way that we did here in Massachusetts because there's not as many people there, right? So there's more space and people can can isolate without really trying to isolate because they don't have as many people. Uh, it's a, it's a very different place. And every time I go up there, I'm like, I'm not in Massachusetts anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I heard uh, you go to Vermont. There's like just cows, few people. <laughs> yeah. Burlington. And then there's other towns that don't have anything. I like, I'm just being honest. Like everything pretty much is in Burlington. Um, except for like some of the breweries, some of the breweries are outside of Burlington, but if you're looking to do things, that's where you need to go. Maybe I'll go up there sometime. Just check it out. There is, there is one thing I do want to talk about, um, the, the Ukraine war in a wider sense. I wanted to get this in because I haven't really heard anybody really talking about this. It's the reason why. Russia and the United States are both fighting in your in Ukraine, basically. So 
like back back in uh let's say around I think it's twenty thirteen, the shell the when the Soviet Union broke up, they didn't really know this. There's a lot of oil deposits in all the breakaway provinces. And Ukraine happens to be one of the larger ones. And Shell in 2013 had a contract worth $10 billion to, to uh, drill and build the infrastructure. And Chevron had a separate $10 billion contract in the eastern part of the country. This is very important with Shell, though, because most of the oil in Ukraine is in the, guess you'll guess it, the Donbass region. Shocker, right? Now, the United States, of course, these are American companies. They want to build out their oil. But the side of Russia that was that was very worried about this, maybe a lot of people don't know, is Russia does have a lot of oil pipelines, but its main pipeline is through Ukraine. It actually carries maybe, I'd say maybe 70% of their overseas shipments goes right through Ukraine. And they're very worried that the United States was going to shut their oil down and pump their oil out, which they can make a profit off of. So in the end, neither neither Russia or the United States cares about Ukraine. This is, of course, a war for oil. And nobody really mentions the fact that in what, what happened was Viktor Yanukovych, he was pro Eastern. He was pro Russia, basically, and he he was he made a deal with Russia. His deal was to keep the oil pipeline open, and in return, Russia would give them a thirty percent discount on all the oil, their own use of oil. So that was a really good deal for them. And of course, this shit out the Americans. And so what did they do? Twenty fourteen revolution. Guess who funded it? I won't say. You know who it is. Overthrows them for pro-Western government to put back the American oil companies. So we're spending $60 billion to protect $20 billion in oil contracts. That's what this war is about. Any comments? Of course it would be about oil, uh, Hector. Yeah. Because <laughs> isn't it always, it seems like? It's always about resources. Yeah. Russia's not a good player in this. The United States is definitely not a good player in this. Ukraine, I don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's what I told people, too. I'm like, all three are guilty. It's not like... guilty. I mean, that's that's my take on it. I know some people will argue and say that um, Russia hasn't done anything wrong. I, I don't agree with that. I think all three are guilty. But I will definitely say that Ukraine is not this angel that the United States government is making it out to be, either. No, no, it's it's that was crazy with that letter that you had about the all the senators or Congress people signed it, warning about Azov Battalion and the Nazis, and then all of a sudden, oh, it's okay to <laughs> it's okay to give them money now. <laughs> what I tell you, what I tell you, I told you guys that letter was signed in 2018. That's so crazy. They, they knew they already knew it was an issue. Yeah. It's um, it it it's nuts that I have a lot of people. They always go. One of the great arguments, the maybe the single best argument people make is, I'm I'm for sending money to Ukraine to help the Ukrainian people, and I always I I turn this right back around them. 
right away. I'm like, look, if you're for Ukrainian people and for Ukrainian lives, the last thing you want to do is prolong a war. You should be against this war, sending more weapons, making this war longer. is going to be more Ukrainian deaths, cutting off their funding, push them to the negotiation table. That's how you keep them alive. Not by giving them weapons. Giving them weapons doesn't lead. Yeah, I just, I, I wish there was some type of call for peace. You know, that's. Yeah, only, thinking. yeah, only Russia. That's the only thing I give Russia for. They did try to work out a peace deal before the war. But we're the United States. So if we're not making money off the oil, we can make money off the war. That's just how we work. So either way, we're getting money out of there. I hear you. I hear you. Well, Hector, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to the next caller, which is Daniel. Have a good night. Daniel, good night. Daniel, your uh, picture says, be honest. All right, Daniel, you're on the mic. <laughs> How are you doing tonight, Sabrina? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Um, you know, it's uh, I I have to admit, you know, I I pretty much would describe myself as like staunchly independent. Um, I you know where I think we would agree a lot is that both parties are completely useless. Um, but I I definitely struggle with what sometimes comes across to me as uh, idealistic or a utopian view of, of the world that just doesn't really translate to reality. And what I hear a lot of times with like leftist uh, politics and talking points. So I've just been trying to engage with it more um, in good faith to try to understand it a little bit better. Um, and I've really kind of come up against it when it comes to Ukraine, I just like basically everything Hector just said, I just don't, I feel pretty much the opposite on. Um, and so just like, a, you know, like a, to me, I'm really struggling with the anti-war uh, banner and trying to understand, uh, you know, like being anti-war, what exactly does that mean? And does it uh, preclude the ability for anyone to defend themselves does it also preclude the ability to stand up against imperialism uh you know like i'm trying to just understand when will it ever be okay to stand up for yourself and you know basically fight off a bully which to me wouldn't be waging war it would just be for ukraine right now they're basically fighting for their lives right and so i just uh, i don't know if if there's a way to articulate what anti-war actually means but i'd love mm -hmm. to hear kind of what you feel yeah so for me i mean i'm anti-war i just don't i don't agree with it and the reason being you have to understand a little bit about my background like my dad was military he's retired but he was military um and he's been to some of these these conflicts right and obviously not by choice <laughs> but um yep. I think it's different when you're in it and you know I my dad didn't talk to me about this until years later but uh 
The problem that you run into are the civilian casualties, and that's a big thing for me. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Seeing children and, you know, just innocent civilians that had nothing to do with this just lose their lives just because two countries have decided to have a conflict with each other. And I've watched uh, several documentaries on this growing up. I, I don't know. I think it was more so like a military kid thing. Like we were all like pretty informed about this. And I I've seen a lot of conflicts. So I've, you know, my dad went to Operation Desert Storm. Sure. Uh, my dad also went to the Bosnia conflict when we lived in Europe. You know, they sent him to, I believe at that point, it was the, the conflict was between for people who don't understand, who may not know this, uh, Czech Republic, it used to be Czechoslovakia, and then they split that up. So that's why you have right. now the Czech Republic and um, I think it's Slo Slovenia. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. But Slovenia, yeah. that was another, another conflict. Uh, and then I got to college and I saw friends of mine also be sent to conflicts. Uh, as well. I know people that have done multiple tours in Iraq. Some people came back, some people did not. But one of the things I think, you know, especially after 9-11, during that time, I really did believe that we were doing the right thing, that we were fighting back. I was not well informed. I yeah. didn't really understand about weapons of mass destruction. Those are things I found out later on when I started doing my own research. And I realized the war in Iraq was was a lie. It was a failure. Sure. We were lied to. Absolutely. And all those people lost yep. their lives, right? So the problem yes. is, I think, in the United States, we, for the most part, at least in my adult life, we haven't had to deal with that. We haven't had to worry right. about walking outside our door just to go to work in the morning and having to run because we don't know if a bomb's going to go off in front of us. Absolutely. I've seen, I mean, I've essentially seen since the Civil War, right, there hasn't been any kind of real conflict on American right. soil. Like, right. Like, we haven't really had to do... So that's a big part of it. But when you live in some of these other countries and you see that they do have to deal with this and you see the children that have to deal with it, and then you hear the narrative from the U.S. government that we have to go over there and help them and intervene because we have to protect the women and the children. And then you see the women and the children are the ones who are dying. That's not true. And then I had to learn as I got older about how the United States government gets involved in these conflicts because there's resources involved for the United States. You know, a lot of people talk about Afghanistan and they use that same trope. We had to protect the women and the children. But they don't tell you that there was also resources in Afghanistan. There was opium in Afghanistan. Sure. And then I see what's happening, what, it ha well, right. what has happened to people in uh, Yemen. Yemen has been demolished. Yeah. And I absolutely. see what's happened to people oh, in Somalia. And I see what's happening to people in Haiti. And it's just the United States government has had its hand in like every other country. And these countries are destroyed. And so then the people who are left there who do survive... There's nothing for them. There's nothing left for them there. So then they say, okay, I'm going to try to move to the United States because that's where I can have a better life. That's how you get an influx of people at the border, especially those coming from the global south. 
and those coming from Central America. Absolutely. That's how you get an influx at yes. the border. And then everybody says they shouldn't come here and da da da. But we destroyed their countries. And so for me, I'm anti-war yeah. because of the casualties that happened with the civilians. In reference to the Russia-Ukraine uh, conflict, I think it's important to note, and you know, because of, because of what has happened um, with the war in Iraq, like anything, any conflict that happened after that, I was like, uh, I don't really know if mainstream media is telling me the truth. I'm going to do my own research. Been through this before. Um, so with Russia and Ukraine, one thing that I think mainstream media has not been good about explaining is that the people in the region, this is my understanding of it, in Donbass, in that region, are ethnically Russian. And that this yeah, conflict... Yeah, I think that's actually been spun a lot by... I'm so sorry. I wasn't trying to catch up. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'll, I'll go ahead. But um, And that, you know, this conflict started like eight years ago. But... I, when I talk to people, when I talk to friends of mine and family members, they'll say, oh, yeah, I, I heard about the fact that, it, you know, there's been the conflict for the past eight years. But when I mentioned to them that the people in that region are ethnically Russian, they haven't heard that part. Yeah, I, I think that part's been spun a lot. It's to me, uh, that's uh, like extremely convenient to Russia. Uh, like being ethnically Russian, what does that mean exactly? Like if they speak Russian, that's fine. You know, like if someone speaks Spanish as their mother tongue, but they live in the United States, are they not then fully American or are they not allowed to be? I, I just think that that's, uh, I don't really take that as a point to say like, yeah, well, obviously Russia now has dominion over that region because a portion of the population speaks Russian. Well, from what I understand, though, they have been asking Putin for help for years. Yeah, but that's just, it's really is in those regions, in Crimea, it's, it's the majority. But in those regions, it really is 50-50. And so it's mm -hmm. not as simple as saying that, uh, you know, like those people in that region, they want to be a part of Russia. That's, I mean, if you want to paint it with a broad brush, then you can, but it's it's actually not the case on the ground. There are just as many people that want to be a, and want to stay a part of Ukraine. And I can see that too. And I, I think the problem that we're running into, I think, is that you know this didn't this didn't start like yesterday. This has been a problem no, for years. And I think absolutely. That I think the biggest problem is that I don't like the way that mainstream media is trying to make it seem like Russia is the bad guy and Ukraine is innocent because Ukraine sure. is not innocent. I think, and I don't think I don't think Russia's innocent either. I think all three are at fault here. I think the U.S. is at fault. I think Russia's at fault. I think Ukraine's at fault. But the narrative that I've been hearing on mainstream media is. Ukraine is, you know, we, they're fighting for their lives. We have to protect them. We have to save them. And like, even the fact that they, they tried to twist the narrative about the fact that some of the, the, the Azov battalion were Nazis, like, how can you deny that when you can see the symbol, you can research the history for yourself. And then yeah, there was but do the you know about the Russian national unity, unity party? I don't, but I don't excuse, like I All said. All right, like, I think you should definitely research that. Like, 
there are just as many, if not more, Nazis in Russia. And actually, there are neo-Nazis, like, formerly integrated into the separatist region governments. Uh, like, look up Pavel Gubarov. He just was talking about how uh, if Ukrainians don't want to change their minds, then they're just going to have to kill all of them. If it's one million or if it's five million, he doesn't care. Uh, and he's been a part of a national neo-Nazi party in Russia uh, this whole time. He's the people's governor of LPR. But I don't ever hear Grey Zone, Max Blumenthal, Aramate talk about that. Ever. And, like, it's just really weird to me, you know, to say, like, all these alternative sources, you know, all they're just trying to do is be unbiased and objective. And I, I, I'm very suspicious of people who say that they're just trying to be objective because I've met human beings before, you know what I mean? Like we're all biased and I think it's okay to admit that. And to me, that's more intellectually honest. And so I'd like genuinely, like, even if it is like, even if, if they're, and I'm sorry, it is true. There are neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Does that justify Russia invading Ukraine? No. Should we should should we invade Russia and denazify Russia? But or here, should, but here's you the know, thing, should Daniel. Mexico invade us and denazify us? But here's the thing, Daniel. You just admitted to something that a lot of mainstream media channels are not admitting to. You I, just yeah, admitted absolutely. To I'm not getting my. You, you see what I mean? I'm, like that's my problem. Absolutely. I haven't been getting my information on Ukraine from mainstream media because. It's actually been, it has been piss poor. It's, it's been awful. Uh, and even the analysis before the current conflict was, was pretty uh, two-dimensional. And so I totally agree with you. Uh, sorry, and I, I think you're trying to give me a compliment. I appreciate it very much. Uh, <laughs> but um, I really am feeling like the, the, the anti-war portion, I kind of like, you know, like you hear like the same talking points on mainstream media. I'm worried that I'm hearing the same talking points. The alternative news sources, uh, a lot of them stem from like, like the propaganda on Russian. And like I see, you know, this guy in the chat is like super mad at me. The echo chamber and, and, and riling it up a little bit, but like, uh, I, I think it's good to have your preconceived notions about what's going on challenged. And so I just, I'm really worried that in the leftist space that it's not actually being engaged with in a critical way. And, and it's just kind of a, we're anti-war, we're pro-peace. And so whatever it takes for the war to end, that's what we're for. But, uh, you know, if it, if it takes the cultural genocide of Ukraine, like, is that acceptable? So I'm just going to say this for one, like we should be calling for peace. We, that's what we should be calling for. Absolutely. By telling Putin that he needs to get out of Ukraine, right? Like that's, that's the way that peace will come. Well, from what I understand, they tried to make negotiations before. And, so I think, and the negotiations I, I think that I, are that Ukraine has to be, quote unquote, neutral, which 
which what does that mean? Uh, and also, why does Russia get to demand anything of Ukraine? Well, well, first and foremost, I think the biggest problem here is NATO, the expansion of NATO, which I was mean, not the biggest problem would be that Russia has now, you know, annexed illegally multiple regions in Ukraine beyond what their original stated goals were, which, I mean, shouldn't surprise anyone because obviously Putin doesn't think Ukraine has the right to exist. But you're and talking so, about like, the problem at hand right now. I'm talking about that's what fine, but this is what is, and I think it's this important is where we're at. We can't change the past. Well, well, wait a minute now. I think it's important to note that NATO was not supposed to expand, and that Russia was, wasn't was supposed it. to attack Ukraine after they denuclearized. Listen, in, listen. Uh, you, mentioned, right? you mentioned the gray zone. You mentioned Max Blumenthal and Aaron Mate. Aaron Mate has said multiple times. That, that he said multiple times on Useful Idiots and on this call-in show that Russia was wrong to invade. Yeah, it's plausible deniability while he then covers for everything else they do. It's like, it's, then it's, I think you should have that conversation with Aramate. I that's, really do. That's fine. I don't, I've, I've actually called in multiple times on a show. And so I totally agree with you, but I'm just trying to understand, like, to me, anti-war, the anti-war movement, you know, in World War II was like, you know, Hitler hasn't attacked us. Why should we attack him? You know, it's like, well, George Orwell said, if you're if you're a pacifist in this uh, war, then you're essentially pro-fascist. And I totally agree. It's like you, it's uh, complicity through omission, through through saying like, well, you know, the easiest thing would be for Ukraine to give up as soon as possible. To me, that's the same as saying to a woman, like, if you're being raped, you should just uh, not fight back so it's over faster. Like, that's disgusting Daniel. to me. Daniel, yeah, I think right? you're like, making two, two extreme, two different comparisons here. I don't think that is cool. I, I see what you're trying I, to do. You figure I'm a female and you think you can use that example with me. That's not going to work, uh, Daniel. I, I get it. I, I think that you are obviously you're you're for Ukraine here. It is what it is. But I think that the the the, the questions that you have at hand in reference to the people that you feel are defending Russia, I think you need to talk to them about that. I've made it very clear multiple times that I think we should be calling for peace. But I am not going to sit up here and I am not going to sit up here and pretend like Ukraine is innocent. And I'm not definitely not going to pretend like they're innocent when I've seen the way that they have treated Africans and other people of color in their country, especially before this conflict started. And they would not let them leave. Yeah. So that's like, what is that? that? What, so you think that Russia is there to protect the the uh, the minorities that are in Ukraine? That's that's why they're invading Did not say that civilians deal. indiscriminately. Did I not say understand. the deal. Did what, not but say. But how that. does that justify Russia's invasion? This, but I will say this. Did I did I say that? No, I did not. I will say this. I said that we should be calling for peace, and I think the issues that you have about this conflict, you need to direct it to the people that you mentioned in this conversation, not me. My name is not Aaron Mate, and I'm not Max Blumenthal. I think that's, that's what you fine. should. That's fine. I'm, that's why I engaged with you and on what anti-war means. Don't ever use sexual assault as a comparison to war again. Ever. I think that's like ever. I, how like how Dang convenient to gone. talk about how we I'm bringing you in. I'm bringing you in, Ashura. Uh, 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 hi, Sabi. 
I can't believe that one. What's up? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I wasn't even listening. I thought I was I was far back in the call, in the calling up until I heard uh, Aaron Monte and uh, Max Bluthal's name came up. And um, this guy was talking. He was saying like he doesn't get his talking points from uh, the mainstream media, but there are people basically on whichever channel that he's listening to, they're gonna repeat the mainstream media talking points. So I don't know what he's talking about when he says he doesn't basically watch the mainstream media. There are people that will repeat their talking points. Doesn't matter which channel you're you're, you're talking about. If the channel is pro Ukraine, you're hearing that talking point right there. Kyle Kalinsky's one of them. Uh, what's that? Uh, Crystal Ball's one of them. Breaking points. TYT. I mean, there's bullshit about uh, Aaron Mate and Max Blumenthal are, are, are pro-Russia. I'm like, even uh, um, when Jimmy and uh, Mac, uh, not Max, Aaron were basically making their videos before even Russia invaded, they even said, I mean, they even stuck his neck out and say, hey, Russia's not going to invade. Russia invaded. What did Aaron Mate do? He basically walked out and says, yeah, I was wrong. But when Jimmy basically mocks the idea, when you see uh, Russia basically doing something, they're mocking the idea because on the Ukraine thing because the U.S. wants Russia to basically uh, ruin themselves on the war. That's why it's a proxy war. They don't care. They, they can get, Ukraine can just get buried in, a bit, in the middle of the ocean, and they still wouldn't give a shit. Ashura. I hear you spot on. Like the number of times people call, to, like contact me, it's really funny. The number of times people contact me and are like, well, Max Blumenthal said, Aaron Mate said, I don't even work at the gray zone. You should talk to them. They're pretty open people. They're not unreachable. Isn't Aaron Mate on call in? Yes. <laughs> I, think, I think the reason is because if they get to Aaron Mate or Max Blumenthal, they're going to get humiliated. They're gonna be. They're gonna be made like a fool. They're gonna be made fools, and um, I, I think they won't be able to basically cope with it. They're probably gonna go to channels that are pro Ukraine and say, "Well, I talked to Max Blumenthal. I I talked to to uh, um, Aaron Mate, and they told me this. Nobody's for uh, <laughs> the war in Ukraine. No one's for for kids pro Russia. I mean, when Jimmy Max and and, and Aaron Mate, they just mock. The, the goddamn fucking war that the U.S. is doing, and they even say it's it's Biden's fault. I mean, they basically mock the United States because mm-hmm. this is the United States war. And the only person I know that has said openly that he's for the war in you, uh, the Russia, what Russia is doing is uh, it is um, what's his name, Jackson. Jackson is the only one that's been saying that he's pro what Russia is doing. I'm like, okay, but. Uh, I don't. I've never heard Jimmy basically said he's pro what Russia's doing. I've never said Max and uh, heard Max say. It. I've never had Aaron Mate say it. They just mock the what's the fuck is going on in Ukraine and the amount of money that's being pumped in the Ukraine and every by and by everyone else. And they're like, all this fucking loss, all this loss. Russia basically winning left and right on this proxy war, and you're you're willing to pump up all this money. I mean, they just laugh at it. I'm like, you, the U.S. is basically losing. Well, not really the U.S., the American people, because it's their fucking money pumped into Russia, into this war with Russia. Yeah, I mean, we could have had Medicare for all by now with all that money that they sent to Ukraine. I mean, I remember Jimmy used to say this all the time. Even, like, what, half $25 billion should be enough to end homelessness? 
Imagine if you basically cut that money <coughs> from the Ukraine, $53 billion, give it to the American people, uh, you'd be ending homelessness right now. Yep. But this obsession with Aaron Mate, Max Blumenthal, I'm like, I gotta wonder who, who, who are they watching? I don't know, but my whole thing is just like, damn, like. <laughs> I mean, we've we, we've talked about this. I, I I know you've said it before. Yeah, there have been people coming in saying, Aaron Mate said this, Max Blumenthal said this, and <laughs> your only response is, well, if you can't basically talk to the guy, and the guy wants his side to be coming on top. I mean, your only answer is, well, go talk to them. I it's like it's like with Bree, Bree with uh Bree and uh goddamn Jake Uger. I'm not a proxy for Jimmy Dorn. Oh my god. Well, my thing is, is my thing is is this is like if you guys knew how often I hear about this stuff, like honestly, I could just be sitting here minding my own business. If it's not via Twitter, if it's not via email, if it's not YouTube. Every other day, someone reaches out to me and says, I think that you should be wary of the gray zone. I think you, should, you shouldn't talk to Max Blumenthal. You should not be in alliance with people like Aaron Monte. I'm like, the fuck? What do I look like? Their mom? Their manager? I mean, where else are you going to get the news? You think the mainstream media is going to give you the news that Aaron Monte and basically Max Blumenthal are giving, are giving you? They're not. And they're gonna give you the they're gonna give you the pro pro Israel pro milit MIC content. You're not gonna get that with Max Blumenthal. They're gonna give you straight you the truth. So I don't know why like people are losing their minds over Aaron Mate and uh, Max Blumenthal. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, yeah, crazy. I guess I guess tonight was your it was probably your night to be a proxy a proxy for Jimmy and. Uh, <laughs> no, not Jimmy. Uh, Aaron Mate and uh, Max Blumenthal. I mean, the, the point where he used he used the rape thing. I'm like, what? What? What the fuck is rape got anything to do with that? Nobody raped anybody he in Russia. Use, he tried to use that on me because I was a female, and he thought that would get to me. But it yeah, because I remember Jimmy did a story on that, like told all those rapes weren't even real. And if there was people doing raping, it probably was the Azov Battalion. Boy, I tell you. Boy, I tell you, sure. But what's your take on this whole thing about AOC being called out by I'm Jose? I'm like, no. Uh-oh. Ashura? Oh, no. Ashura is stuck in blue mode. Can you guys hear Ashura in the chat? Anybody? Ashura? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I can hear you now. Okay. I don't know why. Oh, it's probably probably oh, it's probably my internet. Like it's getting lower for some reason. It's going up. Oh no. Ashura, I'm yeah. gonna make you I can hear you. I'm gonna make you a speaker, Ashura. Invite to speak. So I invited you to speak. I'll make you a speaker. Sometimes that works better with um, internet. Yeah, it's kind of, there's something weird going on with the. Uh... Okay, Ashura is now a speaker. And Roger Meadows, I'm going to bring you in as a caller. And Karthik will be the last caller, you guys. 
So, yeah. So, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, but you have an echo, Roger. Yeah, but you have an echo. Yeah, can hear you. Okay. Are you on Bluetooth? I just took the Bluetooth off. Do do I have an echo? Okay. You don't have one now. Okay, cool. How you doing, uh, Sabrina family? Um, so I wanted to go back. Oh, yes. You left the show right when JB was getting to read my comments. You would have liked it. You got to go back and listen right after you left. So that's one. Um, what do you call it? So, yeah, yeah. You was talking about the Schiller Institute before. I'm looking at going going to that because I know Justin um, uh, had mentioned it like an hour ago, an hour and a half ago, and he was wondering what it's about or whatever the case is. I'm going there to speak to Diane Sayers because Sayers because she's she's going to be there. A bunch of people from the Larouche party. I forgot what Larouche, who he was or whatever. I, th- I think he was like anti-war or something like that. He, died in 2018 uh, something like that but um yeah i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna go there to see no actually to talk to her because since she's running against chuck schumer um and uh the guy jose that that um uh your comrades interview today he's gonna be there also so he said he's he's he already announced that he's going to run as an independent against Richie Torres. <gasps> and I want to... Well, I want to... Well, you, you know how I feel about the federal government. Like, I don't feel anything's really going to happen. I want to try to go there and convince him to run for state government. <laughs> you know? Uh, to see what he says. Uh, because I want to try to... Maybe he would be interested in being one of the legislators that can, you know, put an amendment before us to, um, so that could transform us into a ballot initiative state, you know, cause I'm, I'm trying to talk to as many state lawmakers as I can. Cause the only way we could become that it requires a constant, a state constitutional amendment. And we would have to get the New York state legislature to put one before us, you know, I mean, it, it's. I, I think it, it would be less resistance for him to fight sixty-two other state senators if he would run for senate. I would rather him run for state senate than assembly. But then to then to fight like you know uh, four hundred and thirty-four Congress people. You know what I mean? Like because that's that's pretty much more of a hurdle. Um, but um, you know. That's 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 what I'm, you know, what I'm gonna try. I hear you typing, by the way. <laughs> I hear somebody that's not, typing. That's not me. Oh, <laughs> oh, sweet. So maybe that's typing. Ashura. Ashura, is that you typing? Oh yeah, I thought um thought I was muted. By ah, busted. Yeah. <laughs> busted. No, because the guy's still in the, the guy's still in the chat. Like he's talking about people are tone policing him. I'm like, what the fuck? Ignore, dude. Go ahead, Roger. Um. Oh, by the way, uh, who was it? See, okay, I'm trying to remember who it was, but they said earlier they said that Obama voted against the Iraq War. Um, 
Obama, um, what's that word? He spoke out against the Iraq war, but he wasn't in public office when that decision was made to go into Iraq. That decision was made in either 2003 or 2002. I know we went in March 2003. He wasn't even a, um, a state senator from Illinois, let alone the U.S. senator from Illinois. So there was, I guess there was a little something. There was really no political consequence for him saying that, for him saying this war is wrong so on and so forth, you know, than it would be if he was actually holding elected office at the time. And he said that. Right. Um, but you know, Roger, so, a lot you know, of people were criticized for that, though. That came out against True. Him. True. I understand that. But it's just that he, would, he wouldn't have suffered a political consequence because he wasn't in office, at, in any public office at the time. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I mean, that makes so, sense. You know, I mean, the only person that probably got away with it was uh, if you, if anybody of you remember, um, my man um, Jadakiss from the Locks, when he had that line that said, "Why did Bush have to knock down the towers?" But you yeah. know, he was playing, he was playing to an audience that was already anti-Republican anyway, so it didn't really. You know, it really didn't, you know, cost them that much. You know what I mean? Now, imagine, it's take a look at not as much as the Dixie Chicks. Now, imagine if you had somebody from the hip hop community speaking out against, well, you did actually, uh, Kanye West, so to speak, speaking out against Obama. That was like the deadly sin. You see what I'm saying? So it wasn't really, you know, it wouldn't really be that, um, you know, whatever. One of the things the Dixie, that, that yeah, the Dixie yeah, Chicks sorry. and Phil the Dixie the Dixie Chicks and Phil Donahue, Donahue were canceled, canceled, you guys. Like the Dixie Truly. Chicks couldn't book a venue. Like they were done. And Phil Donahue lost a show. Yeah. Um, what do you call it? Every so everyone's making this this I wanna this is one of the things that you missed when you had to cut out to prepare for your interview with, with Ron that JB was was speaking about. He didn't know this, okay. But I said I said to y'all, well, you know, you, you left, but I said to you guys, I said, you know, him wearing a White Lives Matter T-shirt is nothing but a covert rehash of when back in 2014, maybe or 2013, maybe when he tried to peddle um, Confederate flag T-shirts. <gasps> Don't tell me you didn't know that. about that. Either. Oh, you did. Yeah, you remember. Okay, good, good, good. So when I when people show me, oh, he put white lines matter t shirt. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it was like this surprises you, like when 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 everyone was like when he and this is before with the Confederate flag t shirts. This is before Trump. So when he was like all for Trump or whatever the case is, I was just like, yeah, <laughs> you know, the guy tried to peddle Confederate flag t shirts. You know, um, one of the other things I was saying the same thing you were saying, I, I put it in the chat that he hasn't been the same since his mom passed and that he probably felt guilty about it. And it probably sent him away because remember, she died 
on the operating table trying to get breast implants that he paid for. Right. So there's probably, you know, so I said, you know, just like you said, it was like he hasn't been the same since his mom died. So there's probably a lot of guilt going on there, whatever, you know, whatever the case is. But I mean, I, I could really, you know, like care less about these. Uh, but isn't Kanye like uh, off his meds for years? I wonder if that started when his mom passed. Well, he could. Well, I don't think basically if you're mentally there's a problem with you mentally. You have to basically have a parent die to shock you to basically having that problem. I'm thinking you, you probably were like that, but you never really, you, you, they never really tested you to see what you had. But you know what though? Here, here's the thing. I want you to think about this for a second. I don't, and I'm not saying that you're saying this, but I don't want to make excuses for people who are off their meds because to me, it's just showing us who they really are. Because equate that with when people were defending Roseanne saying, oh, she was off her Advil or something, something that began Ambien. That's why she was racist. So I, I, oh, I didn't know that Ambien like doesn't make you racist or whatever the case is. So when people were defending Roseanne for calling, um, I forgot that woman's name that used to work for Obama, calling her a monkey. Um, I know her name began with uh, a J. Isn't that like that, uh, what's her name? God damn it. I know you were talking about. Right, right. So people was making, and I'm not saying again, again, I'm not saying that you're saying this, but when people were making excuses for, for, um, for, for Roseanne for saying, oh, well, you know, it's because she was off her meds that she was racist. <laughs> you know what I mean? To me, I equate that the same thing with, oh, he's, he, you know, he, he, he tommed out because he's off his meds. I was like, nah, he just decided to go that way. <laughs> you know, that is, well, it's just revealing who he is as far as I'm concerned. I would say that before even saying that, I'd probably check out if she was racist beforehand. Because there's always a little bit of something in people's past. Basically, she, they said before, what I, it normally pops out before the pill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I guess we yeah, that's kinda like the same thing I was saying, I guess. Um, yeah, but but I think like Kanye, like if you think if you say that's Kanye, one hundred percent Kanye though, then Kanye's what? Republican? He's a black Republican. Mm-hmm. Well he's rich, so you know, of course he's black Republican. I mean freaking fifty cent say he's he's Republican, so <laughs> hey, why is he with the left? <laughs> yeah, fifty cent change real quick. Um, yeah, but money. Roger, anything about uh, this this take here with um, Jose calling out AOC? Oh yeah, well, no. oh, um, oh yeah, yeah, no, that, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I agree. I mean, uh, yeah, I made it. Um, I didn't know that that was him with Jamal Showman. Yep. Also, to be honest with you, <laughs> you I, said I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was your boy. The, when when I first saw that with with with, your, with Showman, I thought that was that was your boy CJ because it sounded just like him, <laughs> like yelling. I'm like, why, why, why are you laughing, Sabi? That the, you came up with the name. You were basically slipping up. I told you you were slipping up. Sometimes you have these good names. You just slip up. It's like, oh, I can't talk tonight. <laughs> you came up Brilliant. with the name Jamal Showman. That's where that came from? Yeah, that oh, was you. Shoot. That's oh, all I was spamming it. You were like, are you high, Ashra? 
<laughs> Sometimes yeah. you, you talk so fast and you basically misspoken like, oh, I can't talk tonight. And I just, just grab them. I just grab those pieces, those little nuggets. Yeah, man, that person yelling. I thought I thought that was your boy uh, CJ because it sounded just like him. I was like, man, this brother came all the way from the West Coast to, to yell at Showman. I'm like, that's dedication right there. Then I saw it was Jose. I said, oh, okay. Oh, wait, that, that was Jose too? So Jose was yeah, calling yeah. AOC and Jamal, Jamal yeah. Showman? Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he I, go, I was he watching. He should go to after every one of them. Well, you know, they, I'm pretty sure that, yo, watch out for this guy. He's he's coming to, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but then again, he's in New York. He's he's from the South Bronx. I doubt he's going to be going to uh, Missouri, Minnesota, and Michigan. Um, I don't think there's anyone. I don't think there's anyone left in in New York. I don't think yellow. so. I mean, I, w- I, w- I wish he would yell at um, Governor Hochul. That w- that would be great. Because Jose you know, Governor... lives in the Bronx, right? Don't he live in the Bronx? Yeah, I South Bronx. Doing... South okay. Bronx. You know, mm-hmm. so. But I would really like for him to run, you know, for 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 state office rather than, you know, uh, Congress. You know, I. I'm just being greedy, y'all. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to keep these people to myself. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. I, I, would, I would like to see more people run for local office, you know? Yeah. I, which is the reason why I hated when Uline New decided to jump out the state and run for Congress. I'm like, oh, we don't need you doing that. I mean, I, although I was kind of happy that she said she supports uh, BDS's right to uh, the First Amendment, which I was like, wow. Okay, you know she didn't say that she supports BDS, but she did at least go as far as saying that she supports their um, right to free speech and stuff. But I would have really rathered her stay right where she was. You know what I mean? But you know, people get all in their egos and feel like, hey, I could make a better thing at a in a higher office. And I'm like, no, stay where you are. And then you know, like, oh. Here's something else, and I mentioned this to you before. Um, I think you, yeah, you was talking about the pledge, right? That that they signed to to fight for Medicare for all, so on and so forth. So I mentioned this before, but I really do think that, just like I told the guys on um, Arizona for Medicare for all, when they said that they was going to run candidates that make them pledge for for Medicare for all, and I asked them how you're going to make it binding. And they didn't have no idea how to do it. And I suggested to them, well, what you do, make it binding, you put they ass to work. Give them a clipboard. And they say, what the hell is this? Oh, well, since you say you're going to fight for Medicare for all when you get to Congress, well, we're trying to get Arizona Medicare for all on the ballot to pass it as a ballot initiative. So you want to uh so show us that you want to really fight for medicare for all in real time and not you get in the office and we hope and pray that you fight for it you can show us right here right now and it'll be good when you're going to these people's homes yes you and your campaign go to these people's homes and say hi my name is blah 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 i'm i'm um, running for office but first i want I want to get Medicare for all for us right here in this state through this initiative. I'm also going to fight for it when I get to Congress, but I want it. I want to make sure that we have it here as well. 
as a as a backstop just in case I get there and they're not trying to do anything. You know what I mean? So that's how you make it binding. Oh, you believe in Medicare for all? We're going to put your ass to work then. Here's this clipboard. Get your ass out there and get some goddamn signatures to get Medicare for all on the ballot as, as a ballot initiative. And then when it's on there, we want you to do a dual campaign between your campaign and the vote for Medicare for all on the ballot initiative campaign. And we're going to do it even... It, it doesn't matter. We're going to do it with with all even people that you're running against. If they're for it, also we're going to make we're going to you know what I'm saying and that'll tell you, you know. And our our support is contingent upon how many signatures you get. You see what I'm saying? So you know, that's that's you know one way you could uh you know so something that you might want to use. That's a good point, Roger Karthik. I'm just going to make you a speaker, okay? Okay, Karthik, I made you a speaker. And then we'll wrap up here soon. Okay, what's um, up, guys? Uh, wow, Sabi. Uh, uh, your nickname for uh, uh, Bowman or uh, Showman is pretty great. I, I think you invented that, somebody <laughs> said. Yeah, she, she's great with those. You just gotta let her talk fast and she'll let out the nuggets. Uh, wow, okay. I thought I see your show enough, but clearly I'm not seeing it enough. I don't even remember saying it. That's the thing. <laughs> well, I want to congratulate you on doing such a long show. I, I see you're trying to compete, compete with uh, Brianna to see who can do a longer show. Who's going to do more than three hours. Um, but speaking about the substance of your title, um, well, first of all, Tulsi Gabbard, I don't actually think that Tulsi Gabbard's, you know, anti-war. Like, I, I'm happy that she's for pro-speech and, you know, maybe a few other things like that. But she's even back in 2015. I remember her saying that like she supports uh, uh, a drone strikes. So I don't know that she's ever been for. Mm-hmm. I, I guess at best you can say she's for against some certain wars because I remember her talking about against Syria. Um, but I I she was also talking about how she also what wanted boots on the ground in other places to fight ISIS. Um. So, yeah, I, I guess it's, and I really hate how she's, like, going into the culture war now. I'm earlier this year, she's like, oh, Biden wants open borders. And that's, like, just ridiculous because he's building the wall. And how there's woke education or anti-white racism. And I'm yep. like, I, I, and I, I, I know Jackson talks about the woke education and open borders, too, on his MAGA communism platform. It just seems, seems really, like, culture war-ish to me, you know, really strange. Uh, can, you ask, can I ask you something, Karthik? What's up, man? Um, are you like on the left side or the right side? Cause uh, I want to know, like, why is it they keep using that dumb shit about basically the left is for open borders, even though the left is not for open borders, but it's it's like a fucking tactic they use every goddamn time, and people like they like to scurry like a bunch of crazy ants over the question, just saying well, no, you're, you're not for it. And well, because I. Well, well, because I I voted for Bernie Sanders, I'm clearly a far right fascist. You know, that's what the establishment uh, uh, media tells me. Um, mm. But no, seriously. So yeah, so I, I I'm strongly left wing. You know, I probably I, I agree with Sabi and RBN. You know, on a lot of stuff, probably most. Um, and so, so, are you asking me why people like Tulsi Gabbard are talking about open borders? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's question. the thing. Like, why do you keep using that shit, even though? On 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 the, on the well, I'm not, I'm not gonna call them left. The neoliberals, they they keep using that shit on them. It's like that's a fucking easy layup. Just say no. 
you, you don't have well, any instance where you're saying that. It's but you part of the culture war. The, the the culture war is just used by the establishment to divide people. You know, so 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 we can hate each other, whether it's a uh, uh, a left rating, uh, sorry, left hating right or right hitting left or poor, you know, hating on rich or even like middle class people hating on poor or working class people or, you know, people getting poor, poor people to hate people who are disabled and can't work or whatever. So it's just another tactic to hate, you know, get people divided and, and you know, and, and lose your uh, eye on the price or not have your eye on the price, you know, eye on the message, whatever you want to say. Oh. I just say it's just part of the culture war, you know? Like about how, how how we have to the culture. I feel like now the culture war is about pronouns, bathrooms, and CRT. Eventually, the culture war is going to drive us to the point where those three things are the only thing that we can talk about: not healthcare, not war, not not housing. You know, not and not the important things. Sabi, do you have anything to say about this? Yeah, I I think the same thing. Um, the whole open borders thing always makes me laugh because, like I said, like earlier. Biden is building onto Trump's wall. <laughs> like they've admitted that. Even the press secretary has admitted that. Oh, that's so funny. I mean, they they, they just. I mean, they could just run on that. I mean, they could say that uh, Biden is basically continuing Trump's border wall. He fucking said it. I mean, they, even if he said it vaguely, but they said it. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. And why can't they run on that? And just basically make everyone that votes blue, no matter who, look who you fund. You're funding. You're funding just another Donald Trump or, or Ronald Reagan. I like to call uh, Joe Biden basically Ronald Reagan because he's fucked up in the head. Yeah, it's the uh, tenth term or whatever, ninth or eleventh, however how many terms Ronald Reagan has had at this point. Yeah, because I'm like I'm looking at Joe Biden like you got you got a Ronald Reagan right there, and you you think this guy is he's left, <laughs> he's far. <laughs> it's like Fox News like to say, oh the far left, the far left, uh, like that Joe Biden and AOC, they they they're trying to put their agendas. I'm like nobody's far left on the Democratic Party. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm not sure it's okay because in 20 years, eventually uh, AOC will save us all. You know, in 100 years, we'll have the $15 minimum wage, and then in 1,000 years, we'll have the public option. It's all going to be okay. What did Nina Turner say? We're all going to be all right or something? Everything's going to be all right? They're going to have to freeze a couple of people on RBN for that to happen. What? We're going to be all right. (laughs) What? Uh, That's what she was singing after she lost. That's that's Nick's theme song right now. We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. Hey, Savvy, are you excited to see Unbossed on TYT with Nina Turner soon this, or next week whenever it comes out? Unbossed? I don't know, Unbossed. Isn't that shit out already? Well, no, because... Your, your boss is Jake yeah. Uger. It's Jeffrey Katzenberg. It's, you know, it's Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah, man, Jank's just a fucking puppet. You think Jank has money? Well, no, he seriously has a gambling problem, guys. He, he got to the $24 million from Republican buddy Romer well, Katzenberg. And then well, I, throughout the pandemic, he was fundraising like crazy, and he's still asking for money. I don't know if he has a gambling problem. I'm, I think that's Jimmy just fucking poking fun at Jank. I don't think he has a gambling problem. You, I don't you, know. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a metaphor. Well, I don't the actually the think that's somehow, it, it's gone. Like, $20 fucking million. Dollars, you got it one time, and now you can't even spread that money around for five, five six years, and it's gone? No, what's crazy is like during the pandemic they raised like, I, I think like uh, 1.5 million because like for the first 10 months or first year they raised 
two hundred thousand uh, each month. So that's, that, that's like at least one point five million just during the you know the virus, the lockdowns. Wasn't that, wasn't that money for the four? Like wasn't the money for the four apocalypse? Who the fuck were they? The four horsemen of the apocalypse? Oh, that, that that's the squad, the Justice Democrats. Oh, oh no, 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 no! You're talking uh, about the two million in 2017. That's a different fund. I'm talking about like the 1.5 or whatever. Okay, but who were the four horsemen just during the lockdowns? The four locked. I mean, I think the four horsemen were the uh, investigative uh, uh, journalists that drank hired and then fired after a year or two years. I don't know, a year and a half. So, yeah, I, that was Nomiki Khans. That okay. was. Yeah. Uh, Nomiki, uh, Michael uh, Tracy. Michael Tracy. Whatever. It, it doesn't matter. It's all in yeah, the past. If that money's all gone. That's the point. Damn. Sheridan. It's a fucking grift over there, man. It's a gravy train. It you know, I, I, I know all this because, because I, I, I was a longtime TYT member and fan, and I gave uh, $2,000 to them over 10 years. So I probably hate TYT more than anybody on here. Um, Carthage, yeah. Oh my God, Ashura, you mentioned Train, Who? and that song just popped in my head. Do you guys remember that song? Come on, ride the train. And yeah, I remember that Come song. Come on, ride the train. I always and laugh whenever I heard that song. <laughs> yeah, Roger, I'm, did you ask uh, where I live? Yeah, I don't mean like you're like. It's okay. Huh? I live in California. What state do you live in? New York, you live in a ballot initiative state, man. Come on, yeah, you yeah. Can do it. I, I, I always vote for you, ballot initiative. Don't initiatives. go away for these guys. Screw all that stuff. Do yeah, it. as Sabi you, said, you, uh, ballot you know, initiatives you know are important. State, his state has no will, Roger. I mean, I remember Jimmy did a video how they they had the ability to basically put Medicare for all on the uh, on the floor, and, and the guy. Oh yeah, and, and Newsom was part of stopping it. All the yeah, more yeah. reason. They didn't want to do it, and Nina Turner just basically defended the dude. Right. Well, yeah, we have to wait. You know, we, we need strategy. You know, we need incremental change, one step oh. at a time. Eventually, something oh. good will happen. Listen, All the more we- no, it's true. You're in a, you're in a bi state like me, a ballot initiative state like me. Yeah. So there's a lot we can do, like on the local level. You know. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. You you don't got to wait for. These guys. Now, me on the other hand, I'm not in a ballot initiative state, so I got to fight these guys. I wanted to answer a question um, that David Humans had put because he was asking me about paying for um, how do you do uh, a, a, a state Medicare for all because he was asking about insurance companies or whatever. Okay, well, first, we would be putting insurance companies out of business. Okay. Um, that's the whole purpose of, of Medicare for all to put them out of business. They don't do anything. They don't deliver on service. Matter of fact, no company, including worker cooperatives should do essential services. I believe personally that should be handled by the government as obligated by the constitution. Okay. Um, but as far as, um, like paying for it or whatever, according to the New York Health Act, let me just read this real quick. Healthcare would no longer be paid for by insurance companies charging a regressive tax insurance premiums, deductibles, and co-pays imposed regardless of ability to pay. Instead, the New York Health Act would be paid for based on ability to pay. 
through a progressive graduated payroll payroll based tax paid at least 80% by employers and not more than 20% by employees and 100% by self-employed and progressively graduated tax base on other taxable income such as capital gains, interest, and dividends. A specific revenue plan following guidelines in the bill would be submitted to the legislature by the governor. Federal funds now received for Medicare, Medicaid, Family Health and Child Health Plus would be combined with the state revenue in a New York Health Trust Fund. New York would seek federal waivers, which by the way, Becerra said he would grant, that will allow New York to completely fold those programs into New York Health. Um, the local share of Medicaid funding, a major burden on local property taxes would be ended. So we are like the, it's, I was told we are the only state that pays for our um, Medicaid granularly through the property tax, okay? Which causes our property taxes to go up, okay? So this is something for the suburb people in New York. Your property taxes would get slashed, okay? If we pass the New York Health Act, because it would be folded into this uh, big uh, health trust fund and so on and so forth. I would suggest, um, Dave Humans, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. You look at also the different bills that, um, like the Medicare for All bill for New York, for I mean, for Massachusetts, I think it's S-766. You know what I mean? Look, you know, look at, look at all the, all the different ones. Um, I don't know what state you live in, um, but yeah. You know what I'm saying? You just, you know, do your research pretty much, you know, but always understand this. They'll always scare you with, with taxes. I always say, look, yeah, will there be a tax hike? Sure. But it would be significantly less than what you pay in a private tax. Private tax, meaning a business tax, when you pay for copays, premiums, deductibles, or when the insurance company says, I ain't paying for that shit. You pay for the entire procedure, okay? We just passed a bill that ended medical debt, okay? So we can't, you know, we we can't be like have debt, medical debt, or whatever the case was. Project, um, so, people in Massachusetts yeah. with more taxes because we're already called Taxachusetts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I always make that as an argument to why we should. Uh, pass a public banking bill, which Massachusetts has a bill for also. We have two bills, one for a permission slip, one to do what California did, which is give a permission slip to municipalities to start their own public bank and build up their own surplus in their own local economies, and another one for a state public bank. So there's more push to pass. Um, in New York State, there's more push. There's more co-sponsors to pass the permission slip bill that what California did than there is for the state, okay? Um, but, you know, Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins is trying to push the state one and wants to do a feasibility study. Do you know what a feasibility study is? Quick question. Do you know what a feasibility study is? Oh, did I lose you? Uh-oh. No. Oh, okay. All right. A feasibility study 
is pretty much a way of um, stonewalling. Think of H.R. 40. We're going to do a study on reparations. That thing has been around since the 80s. Okay, so when you hear, hear feasibility, oh. when you hear feasibility study, oh, we're going to do a, a study. We're going to see if it's feasible for us to do it. No. Oh, okay, okay. Now, now I see what you're oh, talking really? about. So no, anything no. you anything you want, it's a, in the physical study. We're just going to look at it, but not really do anything about it. Well, Even Jim Clyburn right? supports that. Can I, can I jump in really quick here about the study thing? Okay. Um, so I interviewed somebody from um, Mass Act. Yeah. Oh, Act on Mass. This was over a year ago. Two years ago. Good Lord. Two years ago. Locally. So Act on Mass is an organization here in Massachusetts that tries to hold the state legislator accountable. And what they do is they basically clear the room for transparency where the state legislators may not. So one of the things I found out when I interviewed one of the members of Act on Mass was that when they do these studies, when they say a bill is sent to a study, that often means it's meant it's sent to a place to die. Correct. Oftentimes there's no study actually being done. Exactly. So you mm -hmm. know what you what you want. This is what you want. You tell them, I don't want no goddamn feasibility study. I want a business plan. Because a business plan means a commitment. Okay, that's what I was taught when I went to my first public banking um thing up in Albany, Albany being the state capital, by the um, Senator Sanders, Senator James Sanders Jr., who is the uh, who is the sponsor of both of those bills in the Senate. Um, he had this whole thing there and, you know, people talking or whatever the case was. And the person said, no, you do not want a feasibility study. When you hear that, run. You demand a business plan because a business plan is a commitment. Not, you know, we're going to see how, you know, no, no, no. We're going to do it. We just got, we're just trying to figure out how we're going to do it. So, you know, always, always remember that. And I had, I had um, talked to the legislative director for Senator James Sanders Jr. Um, who is writing the, the state bank bill, right? And I said, listen, I point, I read the bill. Because reading state bills is a lot easier than reading freaking federal bills. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. And, you know, they put all different types of lawyer things. But the reading state bills is a lot easier and it's a lot shorter. Okay. And I said, listen, you have this thing called the advisory board that they have. Right. And what it is, is it, 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 they run the public bank. But the problem was they said, okay, we're going to have. We're gonna. It's it's gonna be an eleven panel advisory board, and out of those, um, so it's going to be uh six plus people on the advisory board who have a background in um, they said financing, and some other shit or whatever, and two people from um that represent like public interest groups. So, I made sure to get them to change that. I said. The I said, first of all, you shouldn't have people on there from financing and Wall Street because you're setting it up for failure. Um, you should have people on there with, um, with, with experience in public banking. But they said, well, no one has experience in public banking unless we get them from 
North Dakota or, or Germany or whatever the case is. So I said, okay, fine. Um, then the, the, the guy had, he said, what about if we flip the, flip the ratios around? So I was just like, okay, so have it where it's, I, I told them have it where no matter how many people are on the advisory board, it must always be the people representing the um, the public interest shall always outnumber those who have experience in a background in running a public bank, a community bank, and a credit union. You see what I'm saying? So you got to, you want to make sure that you don't have it where it's set up for, for failure. So you always want people who are representing, you know, like, like have, have people on that board who are running it to always keep it's a way to keep them honest, to keep them serving the public. You know, you know what I'm saying where I'm coming from? So you got people on there that are looking out for, uh, whether it's the black community, people you know, from the black community on it, people from the environmental justice community, people from good governance, people from, I said environment, um, housing. You see what I'm saying? So to make sure they will always outnumber the people who have a background in running a community bank, running a public bank, running a, 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 a credit union. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and make sure that there is an independent agency that, well, they, he already had this in the bill, but in, in, so we have our own version of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau called the Department of Financial Services. So they would do an audit every December of the state public bank to see where the money that it generated went to. You see what I'm saying? So this, so you know, you like you do it for the first time. You're gonna definitely try to you know make it work. But you know, I mean, to bore everybody with some wonky shit, but you know, that's. You know. Thanks, Roger. Uh, it's, it's way past my bedtime. I just realized yeah, we're yeah, talking about like, holy crap. Um, <laughs> but no, guys, um, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Thanks so much. Oh, I forgot to mention. Shoot. I should have mentioned this earlier. Colin now has a video option. So um, next week when I come back on, I'll, I'll probably do at least one night where I'm on video. Don't worry. Like the callers, you won't be on video. But I'll be on video. So I'm gonna try that out. Was, that would be funny, though. I, I was hoping um, you yeah, say, I was hoping you were gonna say, um, since when the first when Colin came in the first time, you said you said uh, I want to hear your voices. I thought you would have said now I want to see your faces and your voices. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that to you guys. I wouldn't do that see, to you. But you want to see my voice? It, it would require uh, <laughs> uh, far too much bandwidth for that. I would imagine. Because Colin already can be pretty slow, at least for chat and yeah, stuff. Uh, I just want to get one more thing before I go, Sabby. I didn't get my piece on the uh, Tulsi Gabbard thing. Uh, why are people so um, talk talkative about Tulsi Gabbard, even though Tulsi Gabbard has nothing to do with uh, politic, po life in politics no more? Whatever she does outside of politics, it's her business. But I hear TYT was talking about it. Majority Report was talking about it. I'm like, she's no longer in politics. All because you see her on Fox News, or she's because saying some stuff. Why, why are you losing your mind Jose, over this? Because Jose, when he made that speech against AOC, he mentioned Tulsi Gabbard as an example. And because TYT are clowns and narcissists. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to head out. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a good night. I'll catch you guys tomorrow on YouTube. Hi, Sabby. Thanks for calling on me.
Appreciate it. Keep up the fight. Keep up the great show. <laughs> it, it, it's one of the best shows on here. Oh, thanks so much. much. <laughs> we all love Bye, you. Bye.